Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good. I've recovered from our post-recording coughing fit. Um, I have a glass of water and it's under control. How are, how are, how are you, Darren? I'm, I'm fascinated, is how I am right now, because, yeah, I mean, we... we this is a very special episode we have here. It is an episode covering the bottom 100, which is in many ways a more interesting list than the top 250. Um, it's covering a director that we have covered in the past, uh, Mr. Uwe yeah. Boll. Uh, it's, 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 kind of, it, it, it's funny how it's a mirror of the, of, of the top 250. How like you, you, you have directors on the top 250. Who, it's almost like their fans are trying yeah. to kind of preserve their territory on the yeah. list and keep them keep them there. And then on the bottom 100, yeah. you have people that uh, the, the directors that people must really hate or, um, or either appreciate how bad their movies are, maybe. Um, but I suspect it's the first. Yes, Uwe Boll is uh, kind of like a king or a sultan of the bottom 100 list. So we've talked about House of the Dead uh, before, Alone in the Dark. The movie we're talking about today is Blood Rain. That is the third movie of his on the bottom 100. Then after that, there's like... And joining the name us of the to king. talk about... <laughs> yes, and joining us to talk about Blood Rain, actually. And this is this is interesting because uh, it's a guest. We we kind of talked to, to Billy a little while ago. It is the wonderful Billy Jean Tony. We talked to Billy, um, I think about two years ago, uh, and we were like, we should have you on the podcast. And then like everything kind of happened all at once and we never got round to it. Yeah. So I kind of reached out to, to Billy a couple of months ago and I said, actually, Billy, if you would like to come on the podcast, uh, what would you like to discuss? And Billy got back and there was a, a list of films from the, the top 250 and the bottom 100. And it was a very interesting list. And then there was a pause. And then Billy sent me through Blood Rain. So Billy, why did you send me through Blood Rain? So, um... When I was scanning through the list, there was obviously some incredible picks on both ends. But for some reason, Blood Rain, almost like it's like terrible because I almost forgot it existed. And then when I saw it, it like hit me like a freight train. And I was like, <laughs> I need this. I need to rewatch this. Like, this is like, it was almost like a, a fever dream I had. And I was like, Jesus, Blood Rain, that was a thing. Holy Christ. I was like, okay. It does have that feeling, definitely. It's very fever dreamy. And I was like, I don't, I, 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 and I've seen it several times, ashamedly. I've seen it several times, but I could never remember anything about it. Even though I've seen it about, I'd say three times. And I'd always forget. So I was like, I want to do Blood Rain because it's like an anomaly. It's like a cinematic anomaly and I don't understand it. And after watching it again, I really don't understand it. <laughs> so we're going to be here for a while. Sorry, in advance. <laughs> no, no worries. Do you remember, like, this wasn't the first time that you saw Blood Rain. So it wasn't, like, because we've had guests on in the past who've been like, well, I always wanted an excuse to watch this movie and talking about it in a podcast is that excuse. And then they become the expert on that genre. Yeah, and then, and then, yeah. <laughs> um, but but you, you had seen Blood Rain before. Do you remember the first time that you saw it? And and what was it that drew you to it? What was the, the curiosity factor? Yeah, did you so, seek it out or was it, did you find it? For context's sake, my first job, um, I was 13 totally illegal but I didn't care I worked in the local shop like the local kind of just grocers like and we had a DVD wall and actually the reason I actually ended up getting the job was because every day when I'd go down after school or whatever I'd berate them on the kind of DVDs they were getting in 
like absolutely scald them. So eventually the manager Johnny ran- Mnemonic. <laughs> yeah. That sort of thing. No, no, so much worse. Like I can't even like like Jesus, let me think. Are we are we talking like the asylum, like sort of rip-offs of more established if stuff? So. Even and I'm pretty sure we used to get in bootlegs and everything and they didn't notice. <laughs> they really didn't notice. And then we used to have like a, you know, the 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 bold DVDs and they used to be on the top shelf and obviously because we couldn't show nudity, they'd be covered in like white paper and stuff. Wow. I didn't and I didn't even watch this show. <laughs> Unfortunately it's long gone. For yeah, for obvious reasons, because eventually what they started doing was um, they started bringing in knockoff brands of everything, so they wouldn't get in Smarties, they'd get in like Aldi Smarties. They wouldn't get in cans of Monster or Coke. They'd bring in like you know the off-brand stuff that fell off the back of the truck. Safeway. Like. Yeah, literally, literally all that kind of shite. Sorry, if I don't know if we're allowed cursing up, but it's too late. <laughs> we're going down that road. <laughs> we're, done, we're done now. We're committed. Um... <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they used to bring in all these terrible movies and um, I ended up giving out to them so much that they went, okay, if you feel so strongly, do it yourself. So they used to let me in order in their movies. I was 13, like. This, um, this was the you be the teacher gambit. Yeah, yeah literally. If, if, if so, you're so smart, you order in our DVDs. Yeah, and, and I did because I was, I, was I was a little curator at that stage thinking I was brilliant. So what ended up happening was is that when I worked in the shop, I'd always bring home our DVDs to sample them. So I watched everything, like literally everything. <laughs> and as well, I had a babysit gig. So generally what would happen was when I'd finished my shift at the shop, I'd go off and I'd babysit for my neighbours who were party animals and they'd be like partying until like five o'clock in the morning. So I'd have to have a handful of DVDs with me. And um, I remember so distinctly, I was sitting in Suzanne's house. It was like three o'clock in the morning and I'd gone through like two movies already the kids are in bed and then I was like oh Jesus I brought Blood Rain home because I loved the Blood Rain games when I was younger as well I was like this seems interesting and the lads came home just as the movie ended they were tore off their face and I was just sitting there I didn't even register them coming in because I was like what the hell did I just watch I was like everything like I was like wait what I was like, and they were like, oh, what's going on? What's the crack, eh? And they were like falling all over the place, drunk off their heads. And one of the lads, the husband came in bleeding. He'd gotten in a fight. Didn't even register. Didn't care. Oh my God. Well, yeah. you, you had enough gore. Literally. Like on screen, I guess. <laughs> Literally, I had seen enough, like. <laughs> and it yeah. was just like, go ahead. Does the movie desensitize you to real world horror? <laughs> We're going in deep already. Um, I have a whole piece on that that we can discuss later on because, yeah. yeah. But literally, I just remember being so baffled. It baffled is the word that I would use for Blood Rain. And then I forgot about it. And then a couple of years later, it was on TV and I watched it again. A lot that doesn't make sense about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of. Um, I know this is not how did this get made, but you do <laughs> you do wonder like how did this get made? And I I I guess it's a video game, popular video game, and studio executives don't play video games, but I no. suspect UA Ball maybe does. Um, and I I guess maybe that's how it happened. I guess Darren will talk about the the whole kind of story of behind it later on, but it it is curious, very uh, curious how how something like this happens. Well, like this, this is the thing, and we talked about it when we talked about like House of the Dead, and like Blood Rain is 
a water or bloodshed moment for Mr. Uwe Boll as a director. It rounds out what many would consider to be his first trilogy of movies, his first trilogy of video game adaptations. House of the Dead, which we discussed, Alone in the Dark, starring Christian Slater and Tara Reid, I believe. I've never seen that, actually, Alone in the Dark. I may check it out. The fact that Tar- I saw that Tara Reid was an archaeologist or yeah. something in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she can't pronounce the word archaeologist. It's wow. stunning. It's it's very convincing. I've seen House of the Dead, but like even I was just checking before we jumped on. Um, I was just going down through his filmography, and then I saw that I was like Christian Slater. I was like, I love Christian Slater, so I was like, oh okay. And then Tara Reid, like curator, archaeologist, the girlfriend of. I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> sorry, what? <laughs> what? I mean, like, there's there's a wonderful interview with Attack from Planet B in 2018 in which Uwe Boll is asked them. about this. Because obviously, like, when we talk about ha- House of the Dead, um, House of the Dead obviously has Jurgen Prochnow in it. And he's the big star and everybody else is like a B-list actor uh, or somebody that you are never going to hear from. Well, again. Clint Howard. Yes. Yeah. And we will come back to Clint Howard in a moment because Clint Howard becomes a linchpin of Uwe Boll's Auschwitz trilogy. The Clint Howard zone. The Clint Howard zone. But like Clint, How- Clint Howard is the glue that holds together. And I can't believe that this is a thing. But Uwe Ball's Auschwitz trilogy. So we'll come back to that later. Um, so but like, <laughs> yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll come back. Because like that's how like Blood Rain is a moment of evolution for Mr. Bowl as a director. Yeah. So he's. With Alone in the Dark, he doesn't have Jorgen Prock. Now he brings in actual actors. He brings in like Christian Slater, who was a heartthrob. Tara Reid, who like, although, you know, even by that stage, kind of a tarnished celebrity, was still the focus of like gossip columns, had still been in American Pie, was still like a teen star of her own day. And then with Blood Rain, with Blood Rain, you end up with a cast that is frankly dazzling by the standards of the movie that we're watching. You, You have Christana Loken who was the villain in Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines two years earlier. You have Michael Madsen, who was like not just a Quentin Tarantino reclamation project, but a Quentin Tarantino invention project. You have Oscar Come on. Yeah. Oh, fine. Fair, fair point. But you have like Oscar winner Sir Ben Kingsley. You have Michelle Rodriguez from the Fast and Furious films in there as well. You have Meatloaf a day. Uh, from like obviously all of your favorite eighties power ballads and Fight Club, and you have special appearance by, and I love that because it implies that there's such a thing as a non-special oh, yes. appearance. Yeah, yeah. Special yeah. appearance by Billy Zane. It's, like this is an. It's the thing Mark this... Mark Kermode said of of, <laughs> of 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 wanting your credit to be uh, and uh, yeah. Billy Zane, but um, of having a credit but. Billy Zane. <laughs> should, the, the credit should have actually just been Billy Zane's wig. <laughs> yeah, there are so many wigs. In there. there are so many wigs, and I have like an entire section on wigs because the wigs are not consistent. Like God, there are several no. points at which actors wearing wigs will just have clearly decided, "I'm not wearing a wig for this take. What are you <laughs> yeah. going to do about it?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like. So, like, that's a big cast. It's obviously a big scale upwards from doing Alone in the Dark, from doing House of the Dead. And I love this interview in 2018 where he's asked, how do you go about selling your ideas to some of Hollywood's biggest names? And Uwe Boll responds, I make offers and I back them up with real money. And he's also asked, why do video game adaptations appeal to you? And he responds, because House of the Dead made money, so I just keep doing them, which is I kind of adore the honesty of that as well. Um, but yeah, House, Blood Rain kind of scaled upwards. They shot on location 
in Car in Carpaggia, which is actually again where uh, the myth of the vampire kind of originates from where Count Dracula, Vlad the Impaler kind of originates from there. They shot in a castle where Vlad the Impaler had allegedly stayed. This uh, is at where Vigo the his... Carpathian. Um, yes. Yeah. The... yeah. So tying all of <laughs> this movie. But, but like, yeah, so like they shot on location famously, famously, infamously troubled shoot in that apparently like Michael Madsen was like attacked by gnats uh, several members of the cast and crew got sick and almost died. Jesus. There were points at which they were riding to the set and they would discover like the bodies of horses just lying in the stream festering. Uh, Madsen said at one point he got on a horse and discovered the horse was wild. It, it had not been tamed because it had been just bought at the cheapest possible price. The sequences involving meatloaf, which we'll probably talk about like later on as I can't well. Wait for this. But, 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 but. <laughs> Cheap, cheaper than hiring local actors, Uwe Boll just hired a bunch of local prostitutes and decided to put them in a scene with Meatloaf. Um, apparently, I mean, according, that, according that shows to- on screen. <laughs> but in <laughs> fairness, in fairness, those prostitutes were better than most of the actors. That that is a very very fair. Yeah, well, they're sex workers. I, I I feel like they 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 know what they're kind of like doing. They in, know what to sell in that yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. literally. It 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 makes it makes it it makes a lot of sense, kind of like for 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 where this movie is pitched, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, um, and like like here's a quote from Madison about making um filming Blood Rain, and it's a beautiful quote. Um, it's got it's quite a long one. I apologize for the length of it. He put me on some crazy Romanian horses. I've done a little riding and I knew the second I got on, the animal did not know what it was supposed to do. All the horses ran off in different directions and went berserk every time they clapped the clapper board to start a scene. My horse ran right into a tree and threw me in a water tank and that was just the first day. I had a catheter in my arm because I was sick from eating the food over there. I lost 12 pounds. I was attacked by gnats in the middle of the Romanian jungle and I had to dive into the water while being attacked by bees. It was a very strange experience. On the way to the set, I'd come across potato tarts and dead horses. I don't even know what his movies are about and why he keeps the same theme of people in the jungle and vampires who ride in from space. What are you doing, Uwe? Blood Rain was an abomination. It's a horrifying and preposterous movie. And here's the kicker. But saying all of that, Madsen would consider making another movie with the eccentric filmmaker. Quote, Uwe was fun. If he called me tomorrow and wanted me to be in a movie, I would do it, says it's Madsen. funny that that, that kind of um, mirrors, like, I think there was a similar thing around House of the Dead. Where it's always like, it's the worst experience I had in my life. It was, it was horrific. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I might do it again. Yeah, call, call <laughs> me back. Call me, Uwe. But I, like, you'd have to wonder, was there like pounds of coke involved? Is that why it was fun? Like, what yeah. was going on? <laughs> like, what made it fun? Yeah, well, I mean, like, again, and, and I'm putting these words in the mouth of Uwe Boll. So this is not the 250. We are not defaming anybody involved. But Uwe Boll on the director's commentary has suggested that several members of the cast and crew, and you can guess which ones by watching the movie, uh, spent most of the production drunk or stoned. There was a lot um, of checked out faces. Yes. Yes. Yes, there are. And performances. Um, all right, then. So I get the sense that we're going to talk about the movie of the Spores in a moment. But before we do, three questions to kick this off. So, Billy, to, to get us started, do you think that Blood Rain is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? Genuinely? No. Like, as much as my brain tells me to say yes, I think 
there is actually like if you look at it really objectively there is a lot of competency the problem is that a lot of it is subpar it's not necessarily bad it's just subpar in my opinion and I, I hate talking like this because I hate like like who am I to judge anyone's you know process but uh, like I have as I said I have five pages of notes <laughs> there, I, I have a lot to back it up so unfortunately that's it's not it's not up for debate it's kind of just a fact I don't think it's one of the worst it could be close but like if you're if we're talking like room level um not necessarily yes and no this is an interesting one actually and it's probably a point to have the conversation now like Billy, have you seen um Uwe Ball's other films? So you've seen House of the Dead, you haven't seen Alone in the Dark. Um I have a question actually, it's probably for yourself and Andrew. When we talked about House of the Dead, um, we were very sympathetic to Bowl as a filmmaker. And I think that holds up. Like I think that House of the Dead is a good, bad movie, in that it is terribly made by any objective measure in terms of like the editing the construction the special effects um there's a sense that he never asked for a second take from anybody because that would just get in, in you know, that would affect the schedule and the, and the budgeting and stuff like that uh, but punk it's punk rock as well. yeah that's that's it exactly no yeah. th- that's exactly what i was going to say like it's that like house of the dead we kind of responded to there's a real sense of how do i make this look or feel like a video game um, in a way, and like not necessarily like we're not claiming it's like Scott Pilgrim versus the world or anything like that. It's yeah. not a ma- misunderstood masterpiece, but there's an inventiveness and a creativity and an energy there. And I think watching Blood Rain, like this feels like a more conventionally bad movie. I think Uwe Boll, and, and again, like we'll, we'll talk about in the Spore Zone in terms of his reaction to the reaction to this movie. But he's argued that, like, critics don't give him his fair due and that he's argued that with every movie that he's made, he has increased, he's improved by a factor of 10. So Alone in the Dark was 10 times as good a movie as House of the Dead was. And Blood Rain was 10 times as good a movie as Alone in the Dark. And watching Blood Rain, I wonder, like, is Blood Rain just a bad bad movie if that makes sense it's a more competent movie it's a more ambitious movie but it has a yeah. larger scale but it's it's less playful and inventive and wild and zany is that fair so, to say i think one of the things that i just kept writing down during my note-taking session because i literally i had to pause this movie so many times that i actually think i have carpal tunnel now in my hand like just ridiculous amounts but i think the i think blood rain's biggest sin is its inconsistency and I think that really kind of bleeds into everything else. And like I there's there's points and that's I got why I kinda of get frustrated with it, because there's points where you can see him trying. And there's points where like one minute they'll set up a plot point or they'll set up a shot and you can see that they're going somewhere really interesting and then automatically it's it like it fumbles and they can't stick the landing. It it's like as well that, that they have different well, I suppose with mo- with films anyway, as I understand it, you'll have different like film units. But it, it's it's like they had they had a very good like like Carpathia's best um filmographer for certain bits location work yeah. for lo- like for establishing shots. And then he gets bit by a rat or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and we don't we don't see him for 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 these other kind of like mid 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 shots. Yeah, or, yeah. Like. Can like specifically like okay like without getting into like spoilers or anything like that, I want like it often feels like this is a more ambitious or more traditional movie than something like House of the Dead, and we mentioned that it has an all star cast, and I wonder if that inconsistency is largely down to the fact that 
this is booked the way that many of those ensemble, like let's pay a bunch of famous actors a lot of money to be on set and shoot this movies is, which is we have Ben Kingsley for two days and we've got one set. So we have to shoot all his scenes in one block. We have Billy Zane on one set for like an afternoon and we have to shoot all his scenes in one block and with no idea how they fit together. Like, and again, like not to get, not to, to go too much into like in depth, but there are scenes at the climax where you can almost tell that like, one of the key actors in the closing, like, fight sequence doesn't look like he's ever been on set with, like, several other characters that are in the I same room. I have so room. many paragraphs on it. Yeah. I have so many notes on that, yeah. And, I, I like, I wonder if, like, that's the kind of thing where, like, Bowl is no longer able to do the punk rock thing. I know we're being very generous to Bowl as a director, but, like, he doesn't have the freedom that he had with House of the Dead, where it's, like, these are like Jorgen Prock now is mine for a month and a bunch of actors that nobody cares about. So we're going to like, we're going to keep shooting this until it works. We're going to do it quickly, but everybody's going to be on set for every day. And like, wow. we have this location and it's in a tight location as opposed to this, where it's a much bigger, more conventional production. And as a result, it just kind of gets lost. It, it's like a, sci- it's like a sci-fi original TV movie to a certain extent. You know, it kind of yeah. feels like a bad TV pilot. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be charitable in. I, th- I, I, I think I might have made this point with, with, with House of the Dead, but it, it doesn't belong on the bottom one hundred because, like, it can't go to movie hell because it does, I think, fairly well what it sets out to do. Yeah, which is that's... like to to give um like uh, uh some some impressive gore, um and uh, nudity, um, lots and lots, of and nudity. which it which it delivers on. Yeah, um, and I I think that 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 you know that 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 that's kind of what it's doing. And in order to to sort of make a movie out of it, you have to um, you know, you need other elements, and maybe those elements aren't uh. uh particularly strong but if you think of it as just a, a delivery vehicle for for gore and nudity it works fine um yeah. and, and 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 i think the gore is quite good um I, I, I won't i won't get super creepy and start talking about the nudity <laughs> in any special detail but yeah the, the, it is very schlocky for, though for, it's yeah, very yeah. schlocky and yeah. it's it, like yeah it, it totally sets out as to what it's meant to do and i think and in fairness i think like some of it like I was kind of consistently impressed with the production design. Like it looked, the world looked the part. And then one of the things that kind of bothered me was the costumes, that some of the costumes were amazing, but then some of them looked like they'd gotten from the discount rack of Party World. And you're going like, how did that happen? And it's like you said, I think it must have been a stitch job that like, and it's almost like you can see at some points, like, you can look at you can see the actors are nearly looking at him going what do you want us to do there okay we go we'll, I'll go stab that guy okay yeah yeah and they're almost like nodding off screen waiting for direction I can but, imagine yeah. he's the kind of director that some actors would would enjoy and some not so much because they'd be mm. like what's my motivation here it's like I just could you sh- like be quiet for a second so what we're going to do is and and <laughs> like that he's not going to engage on a certain level that that's yeah. that like your character arc is it's like right. no you're going to Stab this guy with a dagger. Yeah, that's the blood is going to go, and yeah, and that—that's what we're looking for. Yeah, like yeah. Um, I I have a quote here from Bowl. Um, and because like Andrew's not going to get creepy about, I'm going to let Bowl get creepy about it again in his own words. Uh, Interviewed by Entertainment. 
It's lower after the 2.50 after dark. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, for Entertainment Weekly, Bowl was asked to defend his movies. And it's, it's this great article. It's in the show notes. Check it out. He goes through all of his movies one at a time and offers a defense of like what he was doing and why he was doing it. And to, to Andrew's point, he's aware of why he's doing these things. Yeah. When he got to Blood Rain, and I quote, I think Blood Rain is a good vampire movie. Very bloody, very sexy. I was more influenced by the old Christopher Lee Dracula movies. I said, we need a castle. We need an evil guy. We need blood sucking on screen. We need scratch that on screen. We need tits and blood and gore. I was wondering when he was going to mention tits. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Oh, Um, no. It made a lot of money on DVD. Oh, yeah. It made a lot of money on DVD. If you like blood and guts, Blood Rain is better than Underworld. Kate Beckinsale would never show her breasts like Christana Loken. Right. Yeah. So they, 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 like if I guess if you ask an an um like an eleven or twelve year old heterosexual boy like which 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 did he um uh, prefer he'd probably say the the you you you've all one. In uh, fairness, though, or, I'm pretty sure if Kate Beckinsale, particularly in a la Underworld kind of setup. I'd say if she got in any way nude, people might die. They literally would spontaneously combust yeah, and not be able yeah. to deal with it. Like that cat suit was like like was bad enough. As in it wasn't bad. It was just like she just so looked the part. But I'd say if there was anything like Underworld 2, like the the love scene in Underworld 2, like I remember I watched that with a bunch of friends. I'd say we were about thirteen or fourteen. But I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Unfortunately, all my friends were boys. And it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my entire life because they all nearly choked. They is, almost died. <laughs> is that with you, Jackman, as Van Helsing? Or am no, I... that's Van Helsing is a different movie. Uh, is it Van Underworld... Helsing in uh, no, the, the Underworld verse? Uh, he might be, but as a different character, but he's in, not you, Jackman. In Underworld 2? No? No, there's um, Scott Speedman and as the half vampire, half werewolf dude, Tony Curran is it Tony Curran or Tony? Yep. Yeah, he's he, the red-haired Scottish guy. Yeah, he's the actor. he's the head vampire. I Jesus, I can't remember his name. Yeah, no, I, I, Hugh Jackman isn't in it. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's but Underworld two and um, Van Helsing kind of came out almost back to back. And in fairness, if you were to watch them back to back. They're nearly the same movie, even though they're entirely different. It makes no sense. <laughs> and I should note, actually, like Underworld, I think I've talked about it in the podcast before. Underworld 2 is the only movie I've ever walked out of, actually. And that was really why. So uh, because we were at somebody's birthday party and they were bored of the movie and they decided to leave and it would have been rude for me to stay. We went to see That's... Superstar, didn't we? I don't think so. I think I went to see something else. That I think Was that one of the occasions where myself and Andrew split because I got into an over 18s movie? Possibly, but I okay. I mean, I was just going wherever the crowd went. That's fair. <laughs> um, and she, Darren was like, no, I want to see Blade 2. I want to see Blade. Yeah. Um, I, there, 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 there was Crossroads where I went to Crossroads. It, it was a Crossroads yes. in our franchise. Yes, <laughs> yes you, it was a Crossroads. Where, where I went, went to, Blade to Blade 2 and you went to Crossroads. Yeah. You talked me into seeing Jackass 2, I think. With, I, with think the... I think we left um, the um, the Insider. Um, was it the Russell Crowe movie to to to, to go see um, uh, Superstar? Um, um, but but no, anyway, so I, I'm I'm not as au fait with the Underworld movies as I should be. I do th- I do recall that there is one that is without Kate Beckinsale, 
And I think Bill Nighy is the lead in that one, which is fascinating to me. It's the third one, I think. It's um, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah. and that's that. Yeah, because they were they were together. Yeah, oh, and, from Twilight. Well, Michael Sheen. It's like the yeah. prequel. But I like, I like it's like, you know, we got this young male audience. It's all about Kate Beckinsale like cat suit. What could we possibly have to compete with that since she's negotiating and we can't bring her back? Michael Sheen. That's what these teenage boys will love. Uh, Underworld 3 has the funniest sex scene I've ever seen in a movie. It is legitimately, if you want everyone to have a laugh, like, it's, don't get me wrong. It's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a grand movie. It's, 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 if you're watching them kind of back to back, it's a bit of crack, like if you have mates over. Because it's, it's, it's Ronda Mitra. Because they have they swap her out yes. in in, in yes. lieu of Kate Beckinsale because yeah. it's it's showing their kind of their prequel love story as to like the rise of the Lycans essentially I think that's the what it's called um, the subtitle yeah but midway through the movie there's a there's a scene between himself and herself and it's I can't even describe it I can't even explain it you just have to watch it it's like they're like at the edge of a cliff and she kind of as they're like mid coitus she like dangles him over the cliff. And he like stretches his arm out like Titanic and he goes, ah, <laughs> it is Whoa. the funniest thing I have ever seen. Literally Titanic, but over a cliff. I can't picture that. Um, you can't. You can't. I'm trying That's the to. best I can explain it. it. If you ever watch it, let we'll, me know. We'll let Andrew take a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll let Andrew take a break during yeah. that spoiler zone and he can go and take a look at it. Um, it's also... It's also worth noting as well, actually, just because, again, we're talking about the troubled production history of this. I love that, like, and again, this is the thing where Blood Rain exists in the uncanny valley between an Uwe Boll movie and a real movie, so to speak. The script was written. Do you, do you know who wrote the script for this or who wrote the first draft of the script of this? Guinevere Turner. Yes, the writer of died. American Psycho. Um, like of one of all movies yeah one of the great american writers arguably um and she was tasked with she was hired to write the script for blood rain it came in late it was her first draft um and she submitted to uve bowl um and she said he called me on the phone he said this is scratch that disgusting you lied to me where is my script um and despite the fact that she said that she was supposed to work on future drafts he apparently took her first draft and that's the movie. Um, apparently he encouraged actors to improvise on set. And he apparently, um, he would rewrite some of the script himself, which I kind of love as well. So it's it's weird that like Blood Rain, like looks like it might be a kind of a, like an actual movie if you look at it early in production. Ben Kingsley is playing King of the Vampires in a script from the writer of American Psycho. And then it becomes the movie that we saw, which is kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. All right then. And, and second questions, Billy. Is this one of the worst 100 movies that you have ever seen? I've seen a lot of bad movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, one thing to know about me, just for future reference, is that I'm like a purveyor of schlock and terrible movies. I will very rarely scratch that on a movie. I, I don't have it in me. Like, like if you pick a movie that's like the worst movie you've ever seen, I will probably really enjoy it. Like one of my comfort movies is Doom. Yeah, I mean, I I I love Dune. I got I got annoyed at Donald Clark for 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 Dune or Doom. Doom. Oh, but also Doom. Doom. Oh, but also Doom. Johnson, yeah. But also oh. Dune. <laughs> well, no, it... Doom. I retreat ah. to Doom and Ghosts of Mars. If I'm ever in a bad headspace, I watch them as a double bill, and it perks me right back up because I'm demented. <laughs> <laughs> I do love Andrew's Andrew's one argument with the Irish Times film critic. <laughs> like, I don't have a leg to stand on. 
Like, he is right, to be clear. <laughs> but I'm like, what? You have it on the bottom. It's like you have to put something on the bottom. It's like, yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> that's, that's a very, very fair point. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Would you consider this to be one of the worst 100 movies you have ever seen? Um, but Probably not. But I would take it to um, Bad Movie Island. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Away with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, this is the thing where Andrew's gamed the system. So he he's taking 100 movies that other people might think are bad, but he would enjoy watching. Yeah, I definitely I... would. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's it's the the it it's very um uh, satisfyingly kind of raw, and um uh, Billy Billy Jean is right. Like schlocky is a good word for it. Um and it's it's I I I think it's fairly good at what it does and and the the, the gore is um Bananas. horrific <laughs> and um and it's 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 a crazy movie as well like the the you know certain kind of you know certain decisions on it um I I love because. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll they're get terrible, into it. terrible choices. Yeah, yeah, but 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 it's kind of like it's the sort of thing that you always kind of <laughs> would like to do. But it, you, you know, sorry, if you're thinking yeah, you about you something shouldn't. creatively, yeah. you're like, yeah. it would be funny if 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 this if, happened, if it went like up to eleven. <laughs> yeah, like, it would be a bad choice, but it would be an interesting choice and kind of fun to do. Yeah, but nobody yeah, in their exactly. right mind would ever do it. Like like this podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, to say though, one of the things that I noticed that I really kind of kept kind of repeating in my head was uh, that Christiana Loken, um, every time she like kind of shouted or made like you know kind of grunty noises and stuff. She sounded like Milia Bovovich. And it kind of hit me that Uwe Boll is almost like a step down from Paul W.S. Anderson. She had that sort of energy around Very in, much so. I felt that. And she's yeah. like, an, she's like, a, she's like, again, it's like the, their pairing is, it's it's very similar in a lot of ways to uh, Anderson and Milia Bovovich, I thought. Um. That's it. That's very interesting because, like, Resident Evil, the first one, would yeah. have been a couple of years beforehand, and it would have had like Michelle Rodriguez in it. It's Michelle Rodriguez is above the title. <laughs> yeah, she's above the title star in Resident Evil. I love Evil. her. But uh, well, it's more the do, fifth I, element kind of for 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 me anyway. The, 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 was was the thing I thought of when I was trying to think of the fifth. The, like um, when I saw when 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 I saw the 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 um actor playing this character, I thought like. Is that the no? That was Mila Jokovic. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> they are very similar, though, aren't they? And even their whole like now, I obviously Mila is a very obviously it depends on her project. I I love her. Um, I think when she's put in the right role, she's such a strong actress. Now, obviously, when she's not in the right role, like even, another guilty pleasure of mine is the new Hellboy movie. She she could have gone like to absolute high heaven with Nimway. And in fairness she did. I don't think it necessarily hit all the time, right? But they are very she is kind of like if you were to think of that kind of um subgenre of like badass kind of women in these kind of B ish yes and no kind of movies, she'd be the queen of it. But I'd say Christina Loken would would have been at one stage very hot on her tails. 
I mean, like, this is the thing that's really interesting, not, not to derail it into the, the Mila Jovovich kind of conversation, but like, I don't mind that either. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating that Jovovich kind of started out as this, like, dramatic actor. So, like, she was in Chaplin, she was in Dazed and Confused, she was in, like, Spike Lee's He Got Game, and she yeah. played Joan of Arc. I mean, she even appeared in that god awful, like, remember you two Mel Gibson million dollar movie thing. Like, if you look at her career in the 90s outside of the fifth element, the fifth element stands out as the exception. It's like, yeah, this is a credible European dramatic actor. And I kind of love that after that, she takes this sharp pivot and becomes like queen of the B movies, basically. Uh, yeah. with the, with, again, with, with that cinematic partnership. And I think like is people. Aeon Flux as well as. No, that, that's Charlize, Charlize Theron. That's Charlize. Oh, sorry. She did what, Ultraviolet. What you're, thinking, you're thinking of, of Ultraviolet. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, you're so... thinking of um, Ultraviolet. I love Ultraviolet as well. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got Blood Ultraviolet for Christmas one year on DVD. I got all of her movies actually for Christmas one year. It was a dark time in my life. <laughs> but there was a UV light um, in the, included in, in the yeah. packaging as promotion. But like yeah. that, that's that's the thing about like Jovovich and like one of the things about we talked I think when we talked about Mortal Kombat the reclaiming of Paul W S Anderson and the idea of like treating like Mila Jovovich and Paul W S Anderson as this kind of, like, you know, Tashira Mifune and Akira Kurosawa, you know, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese, like, of B-movies, where they're, like, this creative yeah. partnership that is so perfectly, perfectly in sync. And I, I think you might actually be onto something with the Christana Loken and Uwe Boll as, like, the little brand equivalent, the uh, the Smarties yeah. to their Smarties, the Sorny to yeah, their Sony yeah. kind of equivalent. Well, it's like, um, it's like the, the Centra or Mace or Spire or what what um our independent um shop that you um the, that you borrowed this movie from yeah literally uh, which feels appropriate yeah, yeah it feels kind of um all right then and i think then final question to throughout oh sorry and just in terms of my own opinion i kind of this is a better movie than house of the dead but i like it a lot less if yeah. that makes sense in that like it's less fun it it's more professional it like it feels more competent which somehow and less punkish as andrew said it feels less punkish than i think house of the dead did and it feels like the kind of thing you'd find on sci-fi at 3 a.m in the morning you know and then you discover that actually there was oh, a te- there's a 10 year tv series spinning off of this where they recast the ben kingsley role you know um, but Billy Zane still pops in for There's season finale. a 10-year movie or a 10-year series, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, but oh, it, it feels, Jesus. Like, it feels oh, like the kind of thing you discover. Like you flick on at 3 a.m. I can't believe I missed this. It, it's like Stargate. If oh you remember God. like the Stargate SG-1 TV show. Yeah, yeah, where, like, the, yeah. The first episode that aired on, uh, aired on like Skinamax or Showtime. So it has like a lot of really gratuitous and unnecessary violence and sex. And then like it moves to sci-fi and it becomes this weird sexless kind of like very cerebral kind of like TV show. And it's like, this is a very weird experience watching the pilot yeah. at 3 a.m. Because it's a PG kind of a show yeah. that feels like a soft porno. Yeah. Well, it's lit. It's certainly lit like one. Of- yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. it's yeah. Like, but like, it would not surprise me to discover that Blood Rain, you know, kind of went on to spawn a, a 10 year running like series on sci-fi and starring like Noah. Universe. Yeah, Noah Wiley from Eeyore is like the credited lead in it or something like that. And he's been doing it for 10 years and nobody knows. <laughs> um, but 
but like and and like obviously there are two sequels both of which are directed by Uwe Boll. Two... Ice is a lab technician. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Billy Zane occasionally pops by for sweeps, that sort of stuff. Um end of season finale. <laughs> yeah. Billy, Billy Zane. Zane and clearly yeah. shooting his episodes like away from the rest Let's of the cast. Let's stop talking about it and start making this show. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, right now. Um but like it, there are two direct to video sequels and like again I love that, like, in most markets, when, like, you do direct-to-video sequels, like, we talked about, you know, we talked about, like, the Starship Troopers Paul Verhoeven thing, where you have the original, and then it goes direct-to-video, and you have somebody else come in and direct it. I love that Uwe Boll directed the two direct-to-video sequels to this as well. <laughs> <laughs> he just really likes making movies. Probably like P.T. Anderson. Um... PT like, or PW? PW, I beg your pardon. Not, not. We've made that mistake. We have. <laughs> like, time. I think yeah. we joked about like Resident Evil directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, we, starring um, Maya Rudolph. Starring Maya Rudolph. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right then, and then final question to take us into the spore zone, Billy Jean. If listeners have not already seen Blood Rain, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it? It is available as we record this on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it for free if you have Amazon Prime. Would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? Yes. I think it has to be seen to be believed. And even if you don't think you need to watch it, I think everyone should at some point. And then like, I think it's one of those movies that like, if you have friends over and stuff, it makes for great kind of, you know, kind of even background noise. Because before you know it, everyone would be sitting down and going, what the hell am I watching? And everyone would just <laughs> gather like church and just sit there in bafflement. And it's really good as well. Like it's again, it's one of those things that it plays off so well that you can pair it with, like I mentioned, Ghost of Mars and um and do uh, Doom earlier on. Like you could pair it up with one of them. Just pick the other worst movie you can think of, and you will have such a good time. It's it is because it, it there is a lot of, it's almost like so joyless in a lot of ways that it brings you joy. <laughs> if you get yeah. me. Yeah, I could kind but of see yes. that actually. Uh, perfect. And and Andrew, what about yourself? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I would um recommend it. I guess like with 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 the qualification that make make sure it's it's for you. If you like Buffy the Vampire face changes, um, <laughs> if yeah, if 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 you like um like extreme gore, um, if you like characters tapping on bits of paper or cards. <laughs> to, yeah. to, to, to holding fidgeting. swords yeah, like they're plastic. Not doing a second time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, 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 then check, check out this movie. Yeah, no, I, 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 it would, it would be a, like a qualified recommendation. Make sure you know what you're getting in for. Yes. Um, I, I watched Pure this mastery. movie twice for this podcast. One because I was baffled by it, and second time actually taking notes. Um, and like I watched it in the middle of the day or in the early evening, and it still no substances felt- involved. And it still yeah. felt it still felt like, and I think Billy Billy kind of mentioned this beforehand. It felt like that kind of twilight space between dreaming and being awake. It captured that sensation of like waking up in the middle of the night, flicking on television, finding something, and just kind of gazing in bafflement at it. So if you're looking for yeah. that, That's then what, yes, that was one of the pitches for a podcast that we could do. Yes, <laughs> going to a random television station <laughs> on Sky Digital. And watching an hour, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just whatever it was, it yeah. was happening. <laughs> and that sometimes it would it would be like a a a football game. Sometimes it would be crafting. 
Sometimes it would be like like yeah. <laughs> I, I guess there's reasons why we didn't. Yeah, there do are that. reasons why I vetoed that. <laughs> I was like, but Andrew, what if we about... land on? Yeah, and, and Andrew was like, yeah, what if we do land on it? And I was like, okay, veto. Hard, hard, hard pass. <laughs> uh, Darren, Darren vetoed it because of all of the the um, uh, Bible uh, reading yeah, uh, yeah, ones. Yeah. Ah, that makes sense. Um, we should mention we we. Because Andrew brought up Paul Thomas Anderson, before we jump into the story zone, one more anecdote that I adore. In 2018, Uwe Boll accused Paul Thomas Anderson of ripping off the poster for Blood Rain. I love that. He, he stage interviews, he said, look, Paul Thomas Anderson is just a hack. He's looking at my work and he's ripping it off. The, and do you want to like I I gave you the year so you can probably guess which movie it was but like which poster do you think of and think yeah Paul Thomas Anderson def- yeah definitely saw the Blood Rain poster what, I don't what? know if I've seen the, the 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 Blood Rain poster I need to I need to there's a lot that. of they look like they were made in Photoshop seven they do they do they really do um, look like they were made in Photoshop in half an hour before the DVD went to press um yes but yes so for listeners. It was the Phantom Thread poster, which I adore. During what? the Oscar, yep, during the Oscar race for Phantom Thread, for which it was being considered for like best actor and best picture and best director, Uwe Boll crawled out of the woodwork and was like, that hack, Paul Thomas Anderson. He just stole my poster for Blood Rain, which I kind of adore. Like, so the- <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, he's not wrong, actually. <laughs> In a way, now I'm sure he. It was probably. Oh. I'm sure he took inspiration from someone else, but like, <laughs> I mean, I think well, I see it. I think <laughs> that the, yeah, the 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 where kind of Ben Kingsley is yeah. replaced by Daniel um, Lewis and Blood Rain Lewis. is is uh, Victoria Cripps, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I. Oh. I love how abrasive he is, and I I know I'm kind of we're kind of we're entering into like bad water because I don't want him to like text you on Twitter darn and be like I'm going to punch the head off all three because <laughs> <laughs> in fairness we've been very generous on like I appreciate I appreciate his hustle like fair play to him but like I just the fact that like if I think if anyone so much as like looks at anything you yeah. could be sitting in your room at like four o'clock in the morning and go wow I really hate House of the Dead and then suddenly he'll burst down through your roof and choke you out like, <laughs> yeah. I, get, I get that energy from him yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and we, I kind of love we, it we we have been very kind to him and the reason is that uh, we have received threats of physical violence that we're not allowed <laughs> yeah. to talk about for, for legal reasons I may have already said too much is there a gun <laughs> at your back do you need help blink, tw- blink twice for help I, unfortunately this is an audio medium <laughs> it's like it's, a, it's it's like a big kind of um, stegosaurus um, club at the end of a stick, um, and I'm I'm going to be bashed uh, to 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 death with it. Like the way um, Rain occasionally randomly bashes people throughout the movie. Exactly. I think yeah. Nicholas Cage bought a um, a stegosaurus tail um, <laughs> and gave it to Uwe Boll. So had to sell it as part of his like liquidation stuff. Has yeah. Nicholas Cage been in any of his movies? No, actually, which is there is a combination waiting to that happen. Is a surprise because, like, if if you're shooting a movie in like Romania Eastern Europe and <laughs> yeah, or and, and you you don't have like you know a lot of move uh, an awful lot of money, but you do need actors who need money. Um, Nicholas Cage then, is usually just bumming round. 
You might yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you swapped out Michael Madsen for Nicolas Cage. The manic energy he would have brought to that would have made this movie like ingenious. Yeah. I mean, it would have been the same wig. Um. <laughs> would have just been Nicolas Cage's hair. Yeah. <laughs> His normal hair. But then I also kind of want him to be Ben Kingsley's character. So if he played both yeah. and nothing was said. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and they too have two different terrible wigs as well. And two uh, different terrible fair- accents. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, with that in mind, then we're going to segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! Spoiler zone. <laughs> so, Billy, <laughs> what is Blood Rain about for you? That's such a loaded question. I don't even really. What isn't Blood Rain about? Okay, so one of the things that I just think is amazing about this movie is that the Blood Rain games are set in, like, 1930s Germany, if I remember correctly. Pretty sure you have encounters with Nazis, but you're dealing with the um, the the Brimstone Society. I think you're working as an agent for them. Like, for some reason, this is set, like, in ye old fantasy times. Germanic, vaguely Germanic, even though, like, one of the things that I really love about this movie is the variety of accents. You've got these, all the lead characters have all these really all-American yeehaw accents. Then you've got the ye olde English. And then you've got the vaguely Eastern European. It's like an actor um, maybe heard a Polish person talk once in the background of like a train. And was just going off that. (laughs) And trying to like, you know, come up with some kind of interpretation of what... uh, people of the region sounded like and it's just it's baffling and um sometimes actors have accents and they drop them and then they have them and it i just i love it michelle rodriguez is like a particularly bad like it's really weird because madsen isn't trying madsen Madsen is just not zoned in at all he's barely talking yeah i love it but like the thing is with with rodriguez you have this weird thing where sometimes she's trying and sometimes it's like watching ben affleck in the theatrical code of justice league it's like you can tell the days when he is mentally present yes yes and you can yes, tell yes. the days when she is not mentally present and like there are points in blood rain where she will do an accent and then there's points where she will just read her line and want to clock out for the day it's yeah it's interesting in fairness just before i go back to like um what it's actually about in fairness to christiana loken she really goes for it in as much of a capacity as she can, she go and I have to say, like, you know, it doesn't always land, but she does go for it, and you have to kind of appreciate and acknowledge that. And her accent, even though it wouldn't be obviously the strongest, it remains consistent. I think she's the only person that has like a consistent accent throughout. But yeah, like, so Blood Rain essentially, um, how would she even? <laughs> <laughs> well, to, 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 just to quickly kind of come back to you mentioned it being weirdely set in the 1700s, um, like a weird choice Ish. given. The- Ish, yeah. yeah, like, like, no, no version of the seventeen hundreds that existed. Like, they're wearing medallions that look like they came from Hot Topic. They're yeah, and yeah. again, I, I feel really bad singing out Michelle Rodriguez, but she's the the actor I noticed this on. Like, sometimes Michelle Rodriguez is wearing like period specific leather clothing, and yeah. sometimes she's wearing what you can see is like a blouse and kind of like a sports top and like a support bra underneath that. Yeah, um, which is very straight. It looks like they literally just dragged her. Back in for reshoots, and it's like, what do you want me to go to costume? It's like, no, 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 no time for costuming. We'll just shoot it in extreme close up, and we can see that you're wearing like 21st century like clothes. Um, but like the reason why it was set in the 1700s, according to Uwe Boll, with Blood Rain, 
I went totally away from the concept in the beginning because I thought I wanted to do it as a trilogy. So I said, let's start in the 1700s Transylvanian Romanian mountains and everything, like a period piece vampire movie, to show where she comes from. And then we jump into the Wild West with Blood Rain 2 a hundred years later. And then we go to the Second World War for part three, which is the game. So that's basically how I approached it. Now, of course, people say the game isn't... I can appreciate that. People say the game isn't directly in the Second World War, but then I wouldn't like to go backwards in time. So I thought, why not go in the 1700s and we go forwards? And by the way, because I mentioned it earlier and I teased this, Uwe Boll's Auschwitz trilogy from 2011, three movies that he shot with largely the same cast on the same sets, all of which involved Auschwitz in one way or another. And we'll talk about why that happened creatively maybe later on in the podcast, but it's worth noting because those three movies were Auschwitz, which is a documentary account by his own hand of the sadistic suffering inflicted on the inmates at the Auschwitz camp, uh, which was deemed obviously heavily exploitative, horribly violent and unnecessarily graphic, uh, kind of a schlocky exploitation film. Ethan, um, who watched House of the Dead with a sword and said it was actually a unique experience because it, it's very graphic in a way that Holocaust movies aren't allowed to be. Um, the other two movies that he did because he had the same cast and he had the same sets and he wanted to make as much money as possible, like he wanted to uh, amortize the cost. Um, the two other movies set at Auschwitz are Blubberella, which is a movie about an overweight superhero. Uh, it's a dark comedy spoof in which an overweight superhero liberates Auschwitz, as you do in an Uwe Boll movie. And then finally, Blood Rain, The Third Reich, which is the third Blood Rain movie, which stars... I when I looked for the movie, yeah. Yes, it's the first suggestion, weirdly enough, along with the upside. I'm sorry, so he's he, in Blubberella, I'm just looking at it there now on my phone. Yep, there he we star- go. <laughs> he stars as Hitler himself. Yep, yep. I mean, like, there's that argument from, is, is it, who's the actor? It might be Dan Fogel, but one of the actors who has worked with him, or Dan Ford or somebody, who has worked with him has said, like, for Uwe Boll, the performance, like, the art is in the performance between himself and the critics and the audience. So him casting himself as Hitler is very much playing with that. But, to bring it full circle, Blood Rain 3, The Blood Reich, stars Clint Howard as Dr. Mengele. There we go. So brought that full circle. But yeah, so apparently that was his bit. That's why it's set in the past is he wanted to do a trilogy of Blood Rain movies that would like span the depth of the video game world and bring us up to the setting of the first game. Like In fairness, that's actually, I can appreciate that. That's to an extent, obviously. But yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, there were probably reasons why it didn't work in the way that it did. And that I think there are elements here that he's clearly planning to like play off across the trilogy. So I think that there are like characters who exist in this movie and have like, say, hypothetically two scenes and have absolutely no payoff in the movie itself. And you're like, he was clearly intending that actor and character to come back maybe for a special appearance in Blood Rain 2 and Blood Rain 3, perhaps. Um, but obviously that didn't kind of work itself out. But sorry, I cut you off there, Billy. You were going to, to, to say what you thought Blood Rain was about. Uh, I'm like so baffled by that Blubberella thing. I don't even know if I can <laughs> remember what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, like so like for me, like Blood Rain is kind of like that classic, well, at its most kind of basic bones level. It's like a revenge story. Um, you've got Rain, who at the beginning of the movie, like she doesn't know who she is. Um like even what her purpose is by look because at the start of the movie it's like she 
hasn't a clue what's going on at all. Like literally hasn't a notion. And one of my <laughs> one of my favorite characters is the friend that's introduced in the first five minutes. Like <laughs> because like that that poor girl gives so much exposition within the I think six minutes in I had my first page filled out. Yeah. Of my notes, six minutes and fifty seconds. That was I had it done. I the first page, like it's just she. Like she's on like how, how, I don't even know like she's on a journey of revenge even though she doesn't know initially why she's on a journey of revenge and then she knows why and yeah like, <laughs> I think that's it's kind of like like the, the, the um when she has her blood rage in the um in, at, at the, the start. carnival yeah. that's yeah. kind of like the the, the um turning point but she she has innocent victims as well. Like, yeah. like she she kills her friend. It's it she she liberates nobody but herself. Yeah. Um and, and then immediately after she says, I only want to kill vampires <laughs> to, to that family. <laughs> so after murdering all those people. <laughs> and it's it's a very weird scene as well because of how it's presented. Like the film is roughly kind of linear and narrative and kind of very straightforward. Um but like for some reason, he chooses to shoot that as a flashback within an otherwise linear narrative. I liked so you... the way it was shot. <clears throat> okay. I, 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 I liked the kind of Aaron shakiness of it all. I felt like that that added um, to it. It felt like it was a death metal kind of um, music, music video. video. Yes, like in the yeah. early kind of noughties, it's like new metal you know like a lincoln park music video or limp biscuit music video <laughs> more so but like you see her at the kind of you see her at the circus and you see how she's treated and then you have her like introduced like a couple of scenes later running through covered in blood and then you flash back to fill the gap between the first establishing scene that you had of her and the sequence where she's at now it's a very again not that I'm complaining that like Blood Rain is inconsistent or awkwardly edited or structured, but like it's a very odd choice that you don't just say open with her covered in blood and running through the wilderness and then flash back to everything or, you know, like present it all linear and then get to her running through the woods. It's like you introduce her, then you skip a bit, then you go back and fill in the bit you already skipped. It's a it's a very odd structural choice. It's interesting because like, like I think I think that's. I suspect, and I might be wrong, like you, Abel, can presumably find out where I live and, and correct me. Um, if, 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 I wouldn't, if, I wouldn't if, put that out as an invitation. <laughs> if I am. But um, I suspect he doesn't care too much about the, the, the kind of um, niggling inconsistencies of, <laughs> l- like, like, say, yeah. anachronisms and things like that. Yeah. That he's Rules. probably not too troubled by. Yeah, like, the rules um, of cinema. Yeah, yeah. Like the 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 um the whole thing where they're they're like, oh, um, we have some um we have some Chinese powder here. I feel like at the point that a movie is set, they they would know what gunpowder is. Um, they 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 have muskets and things. But anyway, like like I say, I I I I I don't think he's concerned with those sorts of. Yeah, um, uh, it's uh, nitty gritty kind of uh, thing. So, so. <laughs> I, I love that we're talking about like basic function as like nitty gritty, all that boring stuff. No, no, it's well, fair. Yeah, it, it, yeah I mean, like bigger, better movies have yeah. these sorts of problems as well, and it's, yes. it, it doesn't make them bad movies as such. But uh, yeah, that I suspect that that 
he is um, unconcerned. There are some there are some directors or writers who um, it's very important for them that everything makes sense. Yeah, that it all flows um, together and has a clear structure. And that if Uwe it's Ball, not explained in the movie, they can explain it to you. Yeah, like that. I it's think a Chris problem Nolan kind of feels that like it's it's important to him that 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 even if the audience doesn't understand the movie that he does. <laughs> yeah. 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 And well, I mean, and again, like the the story of like Back to the Future, where like there's all this backstory that never made it into the movie, for example, that sort of thing. Uh, whereas here, I don't think Uwe Boll thinks about anything between, you know, action and cut, basically. I saw someone in a review explain, and it's actually a very good, um, it's a very good way of putting it, that the movie's almost like, it's like incident to incident. Because I think that's why it's so hard to explain the story, because it's literally, it just, it it kind of goes like one, two three and it's it's almost like a paint by numbers setup like not I, I know that sounds kind of mean i don't mean it sound as mean as it sounds but it's very okay they go here they do this yeah okay and, and you here, deliver this, this violence here there's an action sequence here there's a vampire threat here she's got to get this plot coupon here like and again like we mentioned in like you know house of the dead him aping the structure of video video games and like applying the structure of video games to a film narrative this very much is that, and ironically, and and Billy can they probably have loose. Yeah, they that's go, exactly. go into a room where there's <laughs> where they can like open a case and take like um, weapons out of it. Yeah, and it's up- just a they, video game. Yeah, they can um, upgrade costumes at certain points as well. They can take like sword blades and stuff like that, and even even things like the collect- scene where like you know where they call a guard over and he comes in, and then you you and it's like that was surprisingly easy. It, and it, then the it, game it, resumes. Yes, oh my yeah. god. Cause, cause you, that was amazing. You, <laughs> yeah. I love that, that so much. Yeah. In video games where like you pretend to be missing or sick um in the room where 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 your jailers have put you. And then the jailer comes in and then you surprise him and And, and, and then it. you escape and then you play yeah. the actual level. Um, but, but I mean but, like even here, like the things like collecting the three parts of Balil, for example. And I think and again, Billy Billy yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong here. That feels more like a kind of a plot reference to is a Castrovania where you have like collecting Dracula's body parts. Here it's Balael as and I think it's Balair is the vampire Belier. in the game. Belial, yeah. Um with an L in the movie and an or in the game. Belair. Like, yeah. Fresh Prince <laughs> of the Fresh The Fresh Prince of, of Hell, apparently. Um but like it it does feel very video gamey in terms of plotting and structure, which is interesting, perhaps. And in that it is. it is as as Billy said, it's it's a b it's action it's scene one, scene two, scene three, horseback, dra- you know, vampires, oh. uh, massacre, more vampires, training montage, vampires, that sort of stuff. And, and having said that, I I I feel I feel like he uh, you Yuve understands kind of like the basics of story and and to 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 kind of you know insert certain tropes but it 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 can feel sort of like that that it's it's more kind of in service to uh, you know show and he he's quite right in what kind of like 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 what 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 he's saying about the underworld that it's better on a certain scale if you're measuring a certain thing um and but like he he understands stuff like you know um estrangement and found family like B- 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 Michelle Rodriguez from the uh, Fast and Furious movies. This is about um, she family. Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's about family. It's it's. Where's Vin it's, Diesel? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, Where's my Corona? 
like they, I, I don't think the UA Bowl would have minded if there was a Corona. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if the bar served Corona. To be fair, but um, yeah, they, it's stuff like that, and it's also like the kind of like thing of being the chosen one, like as as kind of you know described in the prophecy. Um, like a it, prophecy it, that's never mentioned again after it's <laughs> <laughs> it's introduced as this big whole thing, and it's like. Eh. The after. <laughs> like, there's a lot like uh, like again what Andrew says about like understanding storytelling like but being utterly un- yeah no no but like being utterly unconcerned with like the actual skill of applying it if that makes sense so right. things things like say, elements the, of story yeah yeah so thing like you can see the outline like you can see like somebody could make a two-star movie out of this somebody could make a movie like say Van Helsing or Underworld out of this basic structure, if that makes sense. It would be unremarkable. It wouldn't be on the bottom 100. It wouldn't be as hated as this was. But it also, to be frank, probably wouldn't be as interesting. But things like, say, like the relationship that they have between, like, uh, Rain herself and her father, Kagan, um, where, like, you can tell that Bowl understands, like, it has to be a parent-child thing. Like, that's the heart of it. It has to be this Campbellian myth about, like, atonement or reconciliation. Like Star or Wars. Bankrupt- Like Star Wars. Yeah. Like, old dad stuff. Like, that's the essence of this story. She's got to confront her father and she's got to, like, you know, defeat him and vanquish him and make peace with herself through that. But it, it also then, like, the, the movie is utterly unconcerned with, like, the weird mechanics of how that works. So, like, Kagan, like, assaults her mother leading to her birth and then comes back six years later and murders her mother randomly after she won't tell her where the child is uh, because you need to get like somehow so like she needs to both be the child of Kagan and also have her mother murdered by Kagan and you can tell the script's like the script is like logistically they can't be the same incident so yeah yeah, I guess they'll be yeah there'll be two separate scenes and we'll we'll figure out how that works it'll be fine as well, long yeah, as I get the broad strokes. We only have Ben Kingsley for a certain amount of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We ain't we got time to worry about scripting this If we this don't thing. figure this out, who cares? Yeah. That, <laughs> that sequence with Ben Kingsley and the and the mother was so stunted that I actually kind of, I kind of laughed and I didn't even mean to. Like, so you've got those two, like there are two scenes that are quite precarious in, in like, that scene and the one earlier when uh, Rain gets attacked by your man in the her cagey thing and uh she kills him they're like both so on such unnecessary plot points but there's also like no payoff really well i know it gives rain motivation with her mother but like even her one they're just almost like there for the sake of being there but then they're both so like badly choreographed that it almost makes it funny which it shouldn't because <laughs> no. they're both supposed to be like very kind of serious kind of turning moments and like that, like I just there's one. If you look at it really carefully, I don't know if you picked up on it because I actually like spat out my drink at uh, one stage when Ben Kingsley pushes the mother onto the onto the bed, and he's about to bite her. It, he like purses his lips like he's gonna kiss her, but it's like really like innocent looking. Like he's going, I'm just gonna give you a kiss, <laughs> and he leans in, <laughs> and it's so it totally takes it out of it because it's so jarring. Because he looks like he he's like, you know, your granddad leading in to give yeah. you a kiss when you're going home after Christmas dinner. Like, oh, come here to me, Pat. I'll give you a kiss. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and it's so what? jarring because <laughs> he's supposed to be this big, scary vampire. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's trying to give her a peck on the cheek. Like, 
I mean, we should probably talk like just very briefly about like Ben Kingsley's involvement in this movie, because like, I mean, there are a couple of actors that are very interesting for their involvement, but Kingsley, like he was asked like by Time magazine, like, how did you end up in Uwe Boll movie like Blood Rain? And Kingsley's response is great. I don't know whether to be upset or flattered by that question. To be honest, I've always wanted to play a vampire with the teeth and the long black cape. Let's just say that my motives were somewhat immature for doing it. Um, and, and I love the joke that like after this, like I think, sorry, it was, it was shortly after this, The Sopranos made a point of having Ben Kingsley turn down Chris's script on The Sopranos. And like the joke there being he had starred in Blood Rain. He had taken the money to do Blood Rain, but Chris's script on The Sopranos was so bad that even Ben was, Kingsley said no to it. That was Slasher, wasn't it? Yes, it was. was that, yeah, yeah. That kind of reminds me of, um, oh God, I'm like going to make this point now and I can't even think of his name. Give me one sec. I have to no Google worries. No worries. for my... like Sanity. I'm, I have... Just Martin for Scorsese. context sake. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Martin Scorsese was originally considered for the role of Kagan. Oh my God. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Just for the listeners context sake. I, I finished college yesterday, so I haven't got an ounce of brain cells left. I am very, very tired. And no, I can't you're being very kind no, to yeah. join yeah, us. Thank so you. Th- Sorry thank for thank you. No, Jesus. I've had such a blast. It's just, I literally can't speak. <laughs> so that's, on that point of Ben Kingsley, it reminds me of uh, Frank Langella talking about Masters of the Universe. Yes. Yes. That's what it reminds me I'll of. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> and like he said, like he was asked like um, like about his favorite movies and he said that was one of his favorite movies to ever work on and it's one of his favorite roles. Now, in fairness, he was amazing in it. But obviously... He's great. Man, he He's went like for a like, Shakespearean villain in it. Yeah. And... So compelling. And you're like you're looking at Dolph Lundgren covered in baby oil, and you're like wanting to cry, and you're like, why am I all emotional? <laughs> <laughs> this is the the interesting thing I have like about Blood Rain, where I can't like, I think it's it's not unfair to Michael Madsen to say that he is say checked out playing Vladimir, um, but I I do like I look at Kagan and I look at Kingsley. Vladimir, per- I love that. I love like yeah, <laughs> the most convincing Vladimir you have ever encountered, <laughs> yeah. and I love that nobody calls him Vlad because he seems like he'd be more of a Vlad. Everybody yeah, says yeah. Vladimir, but. I look at things like Kagan, Kingsley as Kagan, and I can't decide whether Kingsley is just like zoned out, like he's arrived on set, he's realized what this movie is, and he's giving it absolute minimum energy, or if he has simply made a creative choice of playing the character as still, and the editing, the direction, and the other performers are just completely out of step with it. Like, because there are moments where it kind of works, like at the climax yeah. where he's fencing. I really like that he plays Kagan as yeah. like minimum effort when he's fencing with her. And it's like, yep, yeah, I'm I'm so cool. I'm not. And he also gives the best line delivery in the yes. entire movie. When he looks dead eyed into the camera goes, you ungrateful bitch. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like so low energy that it almost like hits different. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I, that was what I was wondering. Like, I was wondering, like, is is this a choice that Kingsley is making as an actor? Like, is he like, is he sincerely enjoying playing a vampire? And he's like, yes, I've thought about this. My character is so many hundreds or so many centuries old. He's so bored by all of this and so above it all um, and so disengaged and so numbed. Or is it simply like, no, 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 I, I arrived on set. I was jet lagged. It became very clear that this was not going to be the vampire movie that I'd hoped it would be. So you get that level of energy. That's kind of. I think he's trying. I, I and 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 I think he's good in this. 
Like I, th- I, th- I think you, you, you mentioned the jewel. Yeah, the jewel I is quite. I actually I, really I, like the jewel. I agree with 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 Billie Jean that the, the that the um the kind of uh, uh murder or ravishing or rape scene or what or, or, or what whatever it's kind of um meant to get across. Because you say, Darren, I think I think it's meant to stand in for both. Um is is maybe is 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 quite awkward but has kind of like you know menacing moments in it it's not it's not terribly effective but but yeah i, I yeah the start I, of it when she hides rain in the little cubby hole actually is very well done in fairness when she's rushing her in to protect her from him i thought was very good but it's mm. everything afterwards <laughs> that's <kind of laughs> yeah. And you 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 don't want to undercut the the kind of um like horror of of that scene by it being kind of uh awkward like 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 the other um uh, scenes of violence can be um sort of um awkward and weird and sort of wrong and that's uh, that's fine but if the story is a kind of a a, a revenge um fantasy. Or sorry, yeah. Then, then, then it, then it needs it, it, it needs to kind of hit properly, um, the 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 right tone, yeah. I guess. Which 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 no, which it doesn't. Um, in those things. Yeah. Um, very quickly then. What about um, because like Billy Zane. Billy Zane. <laughs> Billy, you mean Billy Zane's wig? He's having um, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's an exactly like a special yeah. appearance by Billy Zane. Um, there's a lot to talk about, like the behind the scenes stuff, but like Zane is for me the MVP of this. Like yeah. his sequences, like he seems to really get what level the movie's operating on, where he's like, you must recover the artifact before it can be used to hurt me. No, scratch that. that Humanity so and funny. freedom. Um, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or the bit where he's like, stop throwing stuff at me when he's thrown a severed head um, and, a, and a, like a note cage and proclamation. But like, I think Zane understands what movie he's in. And uh, like, I think he can. He totally leans into the campness. Like, yeah. totally leans into it. <laughs> yeah. uh, can we just talk about more of that? Yeah. Huh? You could probably do it more Yo, of that yeah, in the yeah. movie. Like, like I feel like the likes of Michelle Rodriguez, like, are, are, she's good at doing some things, but the, 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 that humour isn't um, necessarily... Well, I haven't seen enough of her movies, but in, in this, maybe, it's difficult for the likes of herself and, um, um, and, and Madsen to be uh, very uh, funny. Um if if they're if they kind of don't want to be there and also zero chemistry like yeah. oh my god like there's a you know the scene just before the the fight at is it at the monastery or something that and he they're like chatting and he leans in really awkwardly and he kisses her on the forehead but it's so weird it's so yeah. weird because <laughs> they, they it's it's like it's like madsen has you know, decided to star in this and cast Michelle Rodriguez. It's like a high school kind of musical, and it's like yeah. I want to kiss this girl. Yeah, um, yeah. That was and, like and, yeah. potentially this contract. Except I'm twice her age. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And can we that... speaking of age for a second? Can we just say that Billy Zane plays Michelle Rodriguez's dad? Now I know we find out after the fact that he's a vampire, but Billy Zane is fifty five. Michelle Rodriguez is forty two. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? 
Well, it's, like, to be fair, it's rare that it works in that direction. Like, it's very rare that it's a it's a male lead who's inappropriately yeah, kind of yeah. like, you know, sort of, yeah. Um, it's yeah, just, it was she, so she, funny. Is she, no, wait, yeah, she's not half vampire. She was no, obviously a daughter think, before yeah. he turned, I guess. Well, that, that's the thing is there's this weird subplot which is never brought up again. It's kind of hinted at. And I, and I suspect it's like seeding for sequels because Uwe Boll is talking about, he has a whole trilogy plan for this. But there's this thing where, like, it turns out that, like, the, the character of Elric, Billy Zane, is like a human character who was converted into a vampire and he seems to want to conquer the world for humans who have been turned into vampires as opposed to pure blood vampires seems to be the implication behind it all. He has that whole conversation with your man's muscle. Uh, is it Michael Pere or kind of Ianku? Where he's like, yes, wouldn't you like to be part of my secret new world order? And it's like, I can't wait to see this scene pay off. And that's the yeah, last time that Billy that's... Zane appears in this movie. Um, but like, and, sorry. But you, you have as well, like, um, you have Catherine's part in, in, in that whole scheme. And she is... Um, uh, murdered. Yep. <laughs> and then you, and then you have um, Rain, um, kind of covering it up. You know? yeah, yeah. Saying like she and died a hero's death. Yeah. Um, but did it, if I remember correctly, like which I should, because I literally watched it about an hour and a half ago, is like they find out that she like like it wasn't just Rain that knew that she had turned. Michael Madsen and the other dude knew, didn't they? And it's almost like they forgot. I'm like, oh, did she survive? It's like, oh, she died valiantly. She died a hero. It's like, but you knew she turned bad and you knew she killed everyone. So what do you mean? Like, did she, like, have you amnesia? What's going on? Like, when we're not sure we can weird. get Billy Zane for these scenes. So you better film it in case, just in case. Like, yeah. Film to protect yourself. Like, we don't know if she's going to betray them yet. Um. Maybe we're meant to believe that um, uh, in, in, in Rain's version of events, Katarine had a change of heart at the end and yeah. helped yeah. Rain to fight the villains and died while yeah. doing so. She was just punching herself around the place, yeah. rolling around the cave <laughs> herself. And I have to say, just as a quick side note, um, that fight sequence with her and Katarine or Katarine or whatever her name is, it like brings up, there's two tropes, two vampire tropes that this movie just has in spades. And I love it, even though I hate them. And it's the, hissing with fangs out and blood at the camera after a bite which she does straight after killing Michelle Rodriguez she like hisses at the camera but it's like really long and she's like staring at the camera for ages yes um, I love that and like if I could watch a movie of just that I would probably be very happy because it's so on the nose but I just think it's class because they always like warble the voice and make it all weird and it's always like lots of blood like big furrowed brow hissing and spitting yeah. Buffy, and Buffy, other, Buffy eyebrows. I think Andrew to, described total it, yeah. Buffy eyebrows. Yeah. And my other favorite is particularly when it comes to like the meatloaf scene. Yes. Is all these vampires are like they're so sexual for no reason, <laughs> except for the fact they're vampires, and oh. they're always half nude and half bloody, and they're always shifting each other. Uh, we're, yeah. I can sense Why? we're going to have a lot to talk about, like meatloaf. Because... So before we get back to meatloaf, I just want to put a, put a little pin in Billy Zane before we do right because Billy Zane produced this movie billy zane distributed this movie in the united states that is why he seems to be the only actor who's really going for it because he's the actor who has a big financial stake in its performance which i kind of adore I don't, I, like, fair play to him um, his face i don't imagine the stake is that 
Graydon. Like I, I feel, I feel like he's, he's. I'm, like, I'm not I, finished, he, Andrew. There's, there's more to, there's sorry, more to this story. But go, but go on. God damn it, Andrew! I'm not finished. No, 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 no. But I feel, I feel like, like you, you, your point is valid. But we will come back to why Billy Zane might also have had more investment in this movie in a moment. Sorry, but anyway, what are you saying? No, no, no. I want to hear more about okay. Billy Zane. Okay. I'm, I'm going to talk. Feelings I'm, going, okay. I'm, I'm going to talk afterwards about um, about. I was going to mention how they're sexy evil bastards. Yeah. Like they, 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 I love the same, that sexy evil bastards. The same thing they do in uh, Star Trek. Yeah. Whenever they go to like Bizarro worlds, everybody has mustaches. And is, and is like is, a lesbian um, uh, or bisexual. Yeah, yeah. Never like gay, omnisexual. but lesbian and bisexual. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're they're all ACDC and are, are are like will like chain people up and lick them and stuff. Yeah, in cat suits um, and leather and th- stuff. Um, that's but, how you get across that they're evil. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, they're sexually uh, promiscuous. But the, this movie has lots of Queen of the da- da- Sorry, Darren, but just while it's in my brain, Queen of the Damned. Oh, the Alaya movie so when much, Stuart Townsend, right? Yeah, so much Queen of the Damned vibes. Because it's all that. It's all like, you know, the, the random, weird gyrating and lots of blood and lots of that's, nudity. And that's the Anne Rice thing. Like, that's the Anne Rice sexy. Because vampires are obviously always, always sexy. I think, like, is it, uh, yeah. like, Stephen King's argument that vampires, like, are metaphors for the zipless. Scratch that. Basically. They're the idea of, like, this expression of sexual identity in Victorian uh, culture, where obviously, like, the vampire neck bite is a hickey basically and that sort of stuff and like but in the 90s you had like Anne Rice how, how does how does that interact with 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 them as being kind of like upper class well that, um, that's a separate metaphor the idea of them being parasites and like feeding off the the lower classes landlords aristocrats all that sort of stuff yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's a separate thing as well um, is it that rich people can afford like to, nice hair and makeup and things yeah <laughs> and and to have sex whenever they want apparently yeah. um with whoever they want but like i mean the the thing is though like with Anne Rice in the 90s, you had this kind of like re-emergence of hyper-sexualized vampires. I mean, like you mentioned Queen of the Damned. That's a Lestat movie, isn't it? So it's like, it's yeah. part of a piece with like Interview with a Vampire. Um, yeah. Which, and again, like Interview with a Vampire is like a landmark piece of cinema, I would argue, in terms of like sexy vampires. Because it's like Brad Pitt and he's a vampire. Tom Cruise at like, you know, arguably peak like sexy young Tom man. Cruise-ness. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tom Cruise-ness, like as a vampire. And then you have Stephen Rea for for like others <laughs> for... who also like sexy men, but a different type. Yeah, we don't we don't want to shame men. the Stephen Rea fans out there in the audience. Yeah, but yeah. like you, you have that, and then you have obviously Twilight kind of coming from that as well. So I think Blood Rain exists very much on that spectrum. And I love that at one point you almost get a meatloaf sandwich. But we're going to come back to that. Um, with, yeah. <laughs> where meatloaf is the bread. But if you get back to uh, to Billy Zane, um, like he would he was the guy who did like lots of pre publicity for um uh, for it, where he'd like hype it up so like here are a couple of quotes from him i totally do want to validate uve ball in the pantheon of the horror genre we know that over time the work will speak for itself with that being said he's a great guy and i'd be happy to continue working for him he has totally made his mark and put his naysayers and critics to rest with this film the guy's a maverick the way he directs the way he funds his own movies the way that he distributed his film love him or hate him he's a true individual and i dig the guy that is Billy Zane in the lead up to the release of the movie. How and ever. <laughs> following the release of Blood Rain in cinemas, 
Director Uwe Ball sued actor Billy Zane in the Los Angeles Superior Court, claiming that he's owed at least $700,000 in revenue from the release of Blood Rain. Bowl claims that Zane was the one who suggested Romar Entertainment handle the distribution, with Zane and Romar principal allegedly promising the film would open in 2000 theatres and requiring a $10 million advance from Bowl to be used for advertising and promotion. According to Bowl, at least $900,000 was played out, paid out to Zane and Shram, and the movie only opened in 950 theatres. So according to Bowl, Zane swindled him for almost a million dollars in the distribution and release of it. The lawsuit was eventually settled out of court. And fun fact, this was the last movie that Billy Zane ever distributed. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't Spaten. By Bowl, apparently. But I, I do got to. Yeah, you must assume that like the experience of, make, of <laughs> producing a movie is always like that. Yeah. <laughs> in fairness, though, I think he described it pre everything going sour in the best way like bowl is a maverick i i get the impression that he's just really like kind of does what he wants yeah oh like again not to go into like uh into defamation territory (laughs) but he's he he's almost like the joker in (laughs) in the dark knight he just just does whatever he wants and even if it completely contradicts what he wanted yesterday doesn't give a scratch that just goes for it because that's what the moment tells him needs to happen <laughs> just a dog chasing a car yeah. sitting there staring at like paul ws anderson saying you've changed things forever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um do you want to talk then let's get back to meatloaf and the sexy vampire um because genie mac is that a scene that happens in the movie um and like you could take it out you could cut it there would be no repercussions from it it's just Absolutely. there no, but- you wouldn't get to see like like you know the little you know the, have you ever seen um those big um like serrano ham legs <laughs> hanging in like in um in like spanish supermarkets yes. where where there's a, a little kind of a um upside down um sort of cone Collected that captures all of the the little grease that 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 drips off it this is a very kind of like um satisfying a watch for a vampire um who, who but it would make them hungry yeah horny like and the, hungry the, yeah and like the horny meat- and hungry <laughs> yeah meatloaf embodying all of those um like but it's that bacchanalian thing of being fed grapes by like naked women except it's not grapes because you don't like grapes you like blood um yeah it's um it's interesting speaking and, kind of building on from that just for a quick second that whole sequence with meatloaf um and this is what I was talking about earlier on about like introducing these really strong concepts, but then totally flubbing it like two and a half seconds later. You know the sequence where, and I don't even know why they show up because again, there's no payoff. It's like all the humans chained up, and they're almost like they're like taps, but then they're all lying there, and there's like they're obviously they're bleeding because they're a bit eviscerated. But then one guy goes over with a chalice and almost like a tap just goes up to some dude's neck, gets his fill and walks away. And it's like the blood stops. <laughs> yeah. It just stops. Like it'd be different if they, because I know there's that whole trope with vampires that, you know, that like, I think it's particularly from like, like so Anne Rice and stuff. It's like that their spit or whatever has healing powers and stuff. Like it'd be different if he cut him, took what he wanted and then healed him back up and went on his merry way. But it's just like a faucet. It just stops. And then he, he marches on up to meatloaf, like no bother. <laughs> and I was just like, what the hell? Oh, I don't know. That's 
yeah, it's funny how like Leonid is there. He's not a vampire, is he? He's a thrall, is he? Because I think if he was a vampire, he'd probably be having a better time. No, he he is um, he is a, he is a vampire. The other guy's a thrall, isn't he? Like Yanak, the guy he tries to corrupt, basically the guy he tries yeah. to. Oh, sorry, Leonid is played by Meatloaf. Me yeah, it's it's yeah, Ayanaku. Is Ayanaku the guy um, that we're talking of there, or is it Dormister? Perhaps, yeah, yeah. Um, Who, whoever has he, he's got like the the hair the anachronistic haircut. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> The guy who looks like yeah. a ninja on like a CW show, basically, is yeah. the guy. Yeah. I, I actually have to disagree. I think all of those kind of secondary characters look like they stepped straight off a of Brazzers <laughs> set. Oh, oh there, there are there are moments. There are moments where like and like I noticed like Sebastian. Yeah, I noticed yeah. like the moment where um where like Vladimir like where Rain is being held in the prison cell. And like Ma- Vladimir walks out of the room with Sebastian and he says to Sebastian, give her what she needs. And like yeah. immediately leads into exactly the scene that you think it's going to lead into. If you just put like a baseline on it, it would be exactly that. Well, it, yeah, like like it's it's a fairly kind of it's lengthy enough and fairly explicit. Like, it's so long yes yeah, and the fact yeah. that there's that weird shot as well where it's like it zooms out or that doesn't zoom out it cuts out to, yes like he's hiding almost behind the table yes and the table is covering up the nudity but that shot happens about three times i think yeah no it, it goes back and forth back and forth back and forth it's it's like a weirdly artless artful shot if that makes sense where like yes, like the austin yeah. powers sequence where they hide genitalia behind objects you know, like that sequence yeah. at the start of like the Spy of Shagney where his dick is constantly hidden behind things. But it's like they have the sequence where he rips her top open and you see her breasts and like Bowl has been very explicit. It's like, yep, well, this is clearly a selling point for this movie. But then you have yeah. like the weird. I mean, he's not wrong. No, I, I, I'm not saying he's wrong, Andrew. Um, but <laughs> sorry, you have... sorry. Andrew's getting all heat. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say about? Yeah. <laughs> what did you say about the blood rain sex scene? Yeah. Um, unnecessary, he says. No, but you have like it, it's exactly <laughs> it's exactly what what Billy says, which is you cut to the wide shot, and the wide shot clearly like the contract writer is that you cannot show her backside, so the yeah. tape the table has to be in position, and it's like then then why not like position the camera so you're shooting her back from above her waist um, yeah. so you can show her naked back it's like what why try and be artful but like being really clumsy about it and as billy said doing it three times using the same yeah. cut three times but, but yeah, all it makes you do is like like if you're appreciating the movie uh, on that level all you're thinking is like where is your arse <laughs> <laughs> you know, when are we gonna, oh no they're not going to end the scene and we don't get to see our artists they have okay. again not to go yeah, back to Underworld but it just reminds me of the again not I sound like such a real cretin but I swear to god I'm not like <laughs> but the scene in Underworld again the love scene in Underworld and they cut to a wide shot where you can see both Kate Beckinsale and Scott Speedman and they're both naked and they're like on top of each other but it's, it's shot in such a way that you can see that he's like straddling her leg as to so yeah. he's not actually on top of her, but he's like straddling her leg, and it's so distracting. And that's all that scene of Blood Rain reminded me of. <laughs> it's like you could have shot it in a different way that wouldn't have broken the illusion that something was happening. And also, like you know, uh, Len Wiseman, that's your wife. Like, why do you? Like, why do you want to film someone going he, off with your wife? Like, what is going on? Canonically enjoys sex parties. Uh, sorry. <laughs> 
Um, I, the, the, I'm the, going to Google is, that and make sure that that is not a defamatory statement. <laughs> is, and if you are hearing that, that in the podcast episode, it is not a defamatory statement, listeners. That is in that is in relation to the canon of another um, uh, podcast. Um, so, <laughs> so blame <laughs> them. Blame them. Blame them. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, look up, look up, look up the Paul F. Tompkins character, <laughs> Len Wiseman. Oh, okay. And, and <laughs> bang, bang bang. I feel like comedy bang bang is not a primary <laughs> Satirical. source. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a documentary um, podcast. Uh, I know, Bill- nor are we. <laughs> nor are we. <laughs> no. um, but Billy mentioned we're not even real people. We are not even real people. <laughs> Billy Zane doesn't exist. Um, there never yeah. was. A Billy. Um, and again, like. You know, obviously we mentioned wigs disappearing. I love that, like, sometimes Ben Kingsley is wearing a wig, but sometimes in composite shots he is not, which is kind of yeah. amazing. Um, But you mentioned you had five pages note. Is there anything jumping out at you that we haven't discussed already that you want to? Anything that you think merits okay. discussion or consideration? Let me look. Hmm. One of the things that bothered me was, particularly at the very start, you know, Rain's friend, Jack, she kills, but then only briefly thinks about she set up as this big character she do, she gets murdered by Michelle Rodriguez <laughs> essentially the heads come off so easily with those yeah. blunt swords um yeah um but when they see her neck the puncture wounds are so far apart and like normally stuff like that like i'm very much of the suspension of disbelief kind of school of thought like like for example i watched uh, godzilla versus kong yesterday and there was so much of it that shouldn't worked, like objectively didn't, but I didn't care because I had such a laugh with it. I can I can put most things to the back of my mind, but the puncture wounds on your one's neck and on Billy Zane's neck were like literally 250 meters apart from each other, <laughs> like literally wrapped around his entire body and came back around, like just kind of that those kind of inconsistencies, and then suddenly, like then you see his neck and they're not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to zoom in as well. I love the reveal of like the, the way yeah, which the movie yeah. presents it as, oh my God, this character you just met and didn't care about 30 seconds ago is secretly a vampire. This man who has just had a monologue is secretly a vampire, um, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. Like you, you don't have any grounding in his like relationship to his daughter outside of the letter. Like the letter yeah. presents him as a bit of a cad. Like you're clearly not yeah. meant to be sympathizing with him anyway. And then at the end, it's just, and he's a vampire. And I kind of love how, how matter of fact the movie is about that. It's not like, oh my God, he's a vampire or wow, he's a vampire. It's just, and he's a vampire. And like, and special appearance by Billy Zane. One of the I, notes I, I wrote down, sorry, Andrew, it's just no, no. while it's in my head is uh, I wrote down vampire showgirls. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's this movie. Paul Verhoeven. Vampire showgirls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah be, 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 because uh, like, she is kind of do, doing like a, um, I don't know to what extent, but it's a similar, um, there, 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 there are sex moves that are borrowed from. Um, like the pool scene in Showgirls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Literally, yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, because people watch that and they're like, what, what's going on there? And it doesn't go full <laughs> Elizabeth Barkley here, but, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it belongs, I guess, in the same. Um, Oeuvre of um, Uve, yeah, yeah. as it were. Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out to the horrific gore where they, 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 that I referenced earlier on where there's like this big uh, kind of mace or club of some kind with like spikes on the end Love it. where you did because she's faced this villain who I think works at the monastery and is uh, like on the side of the uh, monks I guess Kind of, um, yes, I know. And she maybe meant to fight and best 
Um, him, but uh, squashes his face with this big, and he he looks like he looks like William Ray uh, Putface Morgan from RoboCop the series, uh, based on RoboCop the movie. Obligatory RoboCop, RoboCop reference. reference. I love that we've been teasing Paul Verhoeven <laughs> references all along, but that's how you brought it. We home. have, we have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I I I don't know how I didn't jump on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we 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 gr- uh, gratuitous um, RoboCop reference. Uh, Paul Verhoeven did direct uh, RoboCop as well as Showgirls. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and Starship Troopers. But yeah, <laughs> it's a very different sort of movie. But like, yeah, it's it, it's and it's so oddly edited as well. It is so terribly terribly edited in terms. Like that's the thing where I'm looking at things like the action sequences and I'm wondering like, is there a better cut of this movie just using the assembly footage that they have? Like, the way in which, like, he doesn't do close-ups and the way in which the music's constantly blaring and stuff like that. I think of sequences like, like, and again, Michael Madsen isn't really trying. He's very much kind of clocked out. But the moment, like, I think it's in the monastery where, like, he's running upstairs and he brushes against a guy. And then you cut to, like, him, the other guy falling down the stairs and yes. him kind of nodding. And it's like... Wait, did he stab the guy? Did he attack the he guy? He sidestepped him. Yeah, he sidestepped him. Literally, he sidestepped yeah, him. Yeah, he sidestepped him. He gave him a ch- cheeky sweep. Yeah. Sent him flying down the stairs. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like, like little touches like that, which are like bizarre and odd and, and don't really work. And you're looking at because it looks like there was a reasonable amount of money, relatively speaking, kind of spent on this movie. Uh, but the way in which like the return on investment, because it was $25 million uh, was the budget for this movie. Uh, which was Bowles' biggest budget to date. Uh, it was also the first of Bowles' movies to lose money. Uh, it did not earn its money back in theatrical release, uh, which we'll maybe talk about uh, in a moment when we talk about the film's legacy and what it means for Bowles' filmography going forward, because I think it's important to place it in kind of context. But uh, in terms of the film itself, is, is anything coming out at, at Billy or Andrew in terms of notes, anything we want to discuss, and we think merits giving a shout-out to I you. think this movie would have worked a lot better had they leaned into like it's it's this is a thing that I've been kind of gestating for a while because I kind of I wanted to talk about it but I haven't been able to like fully realize or understand but you might be able to help me um I'm obsessed with late 90s to early to mid 90s I don't even know how you describe them because they're not B movies but the likes of like you know the likes of for example even though this is not a horror or anything like the likes of Daredevil with Ben Affleck you know it's got they've got that weird edits and they've got the, all the new metal soundtrack and again yeah. like Queen of the Damned like how I do watched, you even I rewatched Saw actually last night and Saw has the same thing where you've got the heavy metal yeah. soundtrack and the really frantic editing like you can tell yeah, that like, like they have Carrie Elways in the car and he's driving responsibly but in the editing bay they're like no we want him to seem deranged so can you crank the yeah. zoom in move the camera left to white play some honking music in the background put some death metal on and cut it like 20 times in a second you know that sort of stuff I, yeah I, I think you are on to something, um, uh, and Billy, uh, Billy Jean, and it's that, um, early noughties kind of, um, or, or not, maybe noughties, just culture in general is kind of bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, like there is and, a and, lot of bad movies, and yeah. they're all. Yeah. Also like, amazing though in their own way. Yeah. But in and it's kind of like, it's the intersection of like the music of that time with the movies of yeah. that time. So you have like Smash Mouth on doing Smash Mouth doing Shrek, Limp Biscuit doing as you mentioned the Mission Impossible Two theme. Yeah. Yeah. 
And they're, they're just, just in a stew. Like, they're very kind of forgettable sort of. I remember being in a band in the early noughties and thinking um, one one of us has to um, break out, you know, and be um, at least as good as no, Limp Bizkit. Yeah. No, yeah, no. That I I figured like what we um are we should probably we should probably have somebody uh, 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 on the decks. <laughs> Mixing you know? this, yeah. yeah. And you were in a, the, it like, was a rock band, wasn't it? it was like yeah. A- oh, yeah, yeah. But like, like, like that. It should be. It should be like a crossover with, 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 um, with, uh, like it should be like new metal, and then, and, and like one of the guitarists should be in drop D, and and all of this sort of stuff. Like, um, yeah, that 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 was kind of the the way. The, that music and culture was situated at the time, and it's very sort of like forgettable or regrettable, I guess. Well, I mean, like, um, but it's very of its time, though, as well. Yeah. I think there's a lot of nostalgia factor because yeah. even I've noticed with them, um, whenever I make, uh, just say, like, again, not to be harking on about um, Queen of the Damned, but whenever I make, like, if just say for Video Nasty or something, if I make a Queen of the Damned palette, people always, they're just so like obsessed with the whole aesthetic and um like the first thing they say is obviously Alia and then they talk about the music and it, it's always about the music and that whole kind of the you know the frenetic editing and like just the bonkers production design choices and everything is just over the top it's over the top in all the wrong places which makes it right and then there's also such low effort where there should not be low effort and I think it so works it's like it's it's weird it's this weird kind of sub 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 genre that's like a law unto itself but yeah that it shouldn't say chickadee chinese chicken but it does yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, but i mean like in, th- in, that yeah. that's the thing is that like and I, again i think it is you're right about it being the early 2000s because you're coming out of the 90s and heading into the 2000s and like big blockbuster culture is still formulating and it, like it's interesting that you went yeah. to daredevil like because that does have like wake me up inside is the theme song from yeah, daredevil there's two evanescent songs yeah. from daredevil yeah which is a very much tells you everything you need to know about where pop culture oh, was at in that moment I, um, yeah. I suspect it's one of those kind of musical genres that's not not really going to be maybe there'll be some kind of um exceptions that are sort of adjacent to it maybe people might still go back to corn perhaps or bits like that but i feel i i I wonder will people in like 20 or 30 years from now be going back to like early noughties music and listening to the likes of evanescence and that well i wanted uh, i wanted to kind of I wanted to kind of bring this up, actually, because this is what I find interesting, because obviously, like, we're living in a cycle of constant nostalgia, and we've had, like, the wave of 80s nostalgia, you know, a couple of years ago, wave of 90s. Oh my god, has it started? The wave of 90s nostalgia is kind of, like, in high gear, you've got, like, the Friends what? reunion going Naughties? on. Naughties? nostalgia I wanted to talk about, because, Andrew, I don't know if you're aware, Fred Durst, he's a movie director now. Yes. Yes. The fanatic is one of yeah. the best movies I have ever seen, and I will fight anyone that says anything <laughs> different. Yes. John Travolta was robbed. Yeah. Uh, I pooped my pants a little. Um. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like part. I want to see that. Yeah. I'm hoping it'll make the bottom 100. That's like I have my fingers crossed and, for that. Like Guy Fieri is currently popular, right? <laughs> and he's kind of the, that aesthetic. W- one of the few links, uh, like to to that aesthetic yeah. that we still have. Yeah. 
so like I, I do think there is something there I think like Billy Billy Jean's onto something and I think that she's right about it existing in that gap because I think that once you hit say 2008 I think it's prime years are like 1998 through 2007 say where yes, you have yes, like yes, yes. this sort of stuff happening because you you have like studios not understanding what kids like anymore because they're like movie stars. No, movie stars don't really exist. Like skaters are a thing. Like you have like. Could... We remember we were skaters, Darren. Uh, like neither of us. Ne- could neither skate. of us could maybe, skate. Maybe you were. I wasn't, but uh, you were. But, but you would have been. I, like, I would have hung out. You know. Yeah, but but as as far as like so our our principal had divided us into um Clicks. you know uh, um cliques yeah our our kind of so there were the skaters the buffs and the shams. I think, and and we we were kind of um, aligned um, <laughs> with, with with the skaters. I um, I really saw myself as more of a Billy Zane type character. Yeah. Really. <laughs> there 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 would be some jackass videos with people who can't skate who are put on skateboards in order to hurt themselves, yeah. and that would generally be me <laughs> in in our version. See, of... I I was I was um, me and my brother would have been like he's still a skater. I'm only getting back into it, but I, when I was kind of. Um, I'd say from maybe eight to fourteen, I was very much skater. Wow. And the only reason I stopped was because I had a, my board was really cheap, and I I tried to do a trick off a platform and it broke and splintered into my leg. So I was petrified after that because it like really did a number on me. Because it was it was a it was a cheap, you know, one of those like fifteen euro Star Wars decks that you get in like um, Toy Master. Right. I loved it though because it was a Star Wars deck. And I was too poor for anything else. And it totally did a number on me. So I've only actually, I got a skateboard for my birthday. And I've been trying to get back into it. But now I'm old and I have sore joints. <laughs> I had the fear is there. I wonder if I'll ever be able to um, do that. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it's possible. There, there, but but I like a friend of ours even taught, tried to teach me how to do a bunny hop on, a, on my bike. And I, I would have cycled all the time, but just could not get it and just kept on uh, crashing. And similarly with 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 skateboarding, there was just no connection between my my brain and my limbs and the board <laughs> yeah, yeah. at all. It, it just wasn't um, happening. I would like you wouldn't even see I mean, progress. I mean, look, I maybe 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 you're just a film director. Maybe you're not a member of Limp Biscuit. Maybe you're a film director. <laughs> maybe Fred Durst. You're the Fred Durst of the kind of group, so to speak. Um but like I, I do again. I find that interesting because it is, it is that lacuna where studios were like before they figured out superhero movies were a thing, and it's like that's what all blockbusters will look like. It's like it's that gingy kind of like let's put Kate Beckinsale in a tracksuit. Let's like put like Charlize Theron and um you know Mila Jovovich in like space vampire movies. I guess that sort of stuff. Yeah. And let's let's give it a like a rock soundtrack. You know, like that that Sony memo that like wonderful... it was astute for the time, but not yeah. for all time. And it has time. aged, yeah. It, it has yeah. aged yeah. flatteringly. I think the I think the swan the swan song of that genre, I suppose, for me would be like the likes of Freddy vs. Jason. Like if you look at the soundtrack for Freddy vs. Jason, it is heavy. It's unreal. It's spectacular. Like Alien so versus strong. Predator as yeah. well was getting ra- made around the same time, and it was just kind of like, you know. <laughs> like what what yeah it, it's a strange sort of a um what did darren call it a lacuna yeah 
where there it's kind of like what are kids into? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's like that. You know that gif of Steve Buscemi with the skateboard yeah. going, "Hello, yeah. hello, hello, kids." <laughs> that, that's the aesthetic kind of of the mood that we're in. Um, all right then. So just very quickly in terms of kind of wrapping up, because I think it is like again, if we're talking about blood rain, it's worth taking a step back and understanding what it means for the larger culture uh, and what, what it means <laughs> oh, in the history absolutely. in the history of cinema and what it means in the evolution of Uwe Boll as an artist. Because Blood Rain was the last of his big three, uh, you know, sort of video game adaptations. It was the first one that did not make money uh, theatrically. It also arrived, not coincidentally, at the time that the German government closed the loophole that had previously financed his three films, which was the one that you could invest money in these movies and write it off for tax purposes so that you wouldn't lose any money on them even if they bombed. Um, and so that was the way that he financed those three movies. German so it's like the producer. Yeah, that's exactly. He's one smart cookie. Yep, yep. Well, that, that was exactly how he financed his movies. Um, and then so that loophole closed. Um, he was getting really tired of like doing interviews in the press circuit and of like critics coming back and hating him with the same criticisms over and over. We mentioned, like we mentioned at the start of this podcast, we mentioned last time, the Raging Bowl incident in which he challenged several of his critics to meet him for a boxing max- match for charity. At which point, I think that's amazing. At which, no, but the best part of it is that he lured them there under the pretense of it being like a publicity PR stunt. Yeah, it'll be fun. And it wasn't. And it turned out he was like an amateur heavyweight champion. Um, like you read accounts of it, and it's like one of the critics was being like resuscitated in the back of an ambulance. We were worried that we were going to lose him for a second. Um, David Ehrlich kind of crawled out of the wing ring on a technical knockout. Um, that sort of but stuff. How- how did their YouTube subscription go, go afterwards? After but David Ehrlich yeah. ended up writing for like New Yorker magazine, so I think he's fine. Um, but uh, no, but like, yeah. so like Bowl was those critics who survived. <laughs> they suffered uh, a huge... benefited from the yeah a huge group. But like things like he mentioned going to like he mentioned going to Comic Con and like seeing his audience firsthand, seeing all these young men, these young teenagers, and feeling kind of like disgusted by it, like. He, he, at that time, like after Blood Rain, he talked about how he was churning out commercial craps for horny boys. You feel the failure already in front of you. I was standing there looking at the people and I was thinking, what the scratch f- that? Are they on drugs or something? Ridiculous. You have stuff like the lawsuit with Billy. He really hates his audience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, he. He knew that he was making things for that audience, though. I think I, like I, the way he describes it, how can he be judgmental? Like, yeah. he, he's, he's like, uh, you know, kids are going to like this because like there's, there's loads of uh, tits and, and there's just going to be like, blood coming everywhere and organs coming out. And there'll be like yeah. kind of like music playing and um, like, you know, shaky camera and, and and but 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 he hates his own. Well, I I think, and again, this may be giving Bowl too much credit, or it may be reading too much into Bowl as a filmmaker. I think producing those three movies, and he produced them like one a year over three years, and being turned into the butt of an internet joke for it, which seems to like really get him. And like he's talked about how he feels like the criticism he gets is unfair. I think, and the closing of the loophole, and the lawsuit, and the fact that this was his first movie to turn a loss. I feel like this, and he's talked about how like this was a turning point for him, and I love this. Um, so he decided that he would get back in touch 
with like his roots. He literally said a chance to go back to my roots, which started with German fried movie, which was a ripoff of Kentucky fried movie. And I think we talked about, we talked about House of the Dead, how like he went to film school and he was like, this is not for me learning about how films are supposed to be made. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to make a film, which I kind of admire, like as a filmmaker, actually learning yeah. by doing. So he went and he did Postal and you end up with this weird thing where Bowles career kind of fragments after Blood Rain where he continues doing like video game adaptations and several of them are on the 250 on the bottom 100 they're not on the 250 they're on the bottom 100 but he started to like so he continued to do he did Far Cry he did uh obviously Dungeon Siege in the name of a king that sort of stuff oh he did Far Cry yep um and and and, and Blood Rain 2 and 3 obviously as well and like Dungeon Siege 2 so he continued to do those he also then branched out and started doing like more aggressive social commentary movies, including films like Postal, which was the one that he made immediately after Blood Rain, which was an adaptation of a video game, but was the one that was like politically incorrect in his own worlds. And so featured like Vern Troyer and featured like Osama bin Laden and like George W. Bush and stuff going on there as well. Um, so Osama bin Laden playing... George W. Bush, clearly. Um no. <laughs> Just to keep things interesting. J.K. Simmons is in Postal. Yes, which I find stunning. Yep, yep, yep. Ah, here. Zach Ward, Dave Foley, Chris Coppola, J.K. Simmons, Vern Troyer, Larry Thomas, Seymour Cassell is in there, Erica Vavi is in there, Uwe Boll playing himself, talking about how he finances his movies. So, like, that was the second strain. He started doing this kind of, like, social commentary cinema. So he did, like, movies like Attack on Wall Street, which I think stars, like, Dominic Purcell as well in 2008, which is very much like a financial crisis kind of quick turnaround movie going on there as well. Um, and then he also started doing stuff like we mentioned Darfur or Auschwitz, movies that were like his attempt to be taken seriously, um, starring, you know, like Darfur. He did Darfur, uh, Dar-, Dar 5 and Dar 6. <laughs> yes, well. he did. <laughs> he built the entire <laughs> series of movies. But like, I, I do, I find that fascinating that it's like this, like this is a branching point for him. This is breaking point for a certain kind of filmmaking. He looks at Blood Rain and he's so exhausted and battered after he's like, I can't continue to do this. So I'm going to like, and we mentioned his Auschwitz and trilogy. Angela Merkel has told him he can't. That's her coming into power has decided like Uwe Boll has to be stopped and yeah. ran, ran on that. Yeah, that was that was a campaign promise. Yeah, yeah. For the CDU or whatever. We mentioned like his Auschwitz trilogy. And again, this is the third time we've referenced it which is, you know, nice symmetry. But, like, though that Auschwitz trilogy is the three strands of Uwe Boll coming out of Blood Rain. You have Blood Rain, the Third Reich, or the Blood Reich, which is this sort of video game movie. It's Blubberella, which is a superhero spoof comedy movie. Returning to his roots. Which is, yeah, yeah. returning to his roots with German fried movie. And Auschwitz, which which is his, like, attempt at kind of, like, vaguely serious, weighty cinema. And I find it kind of fascinating that Blood Rain is a water or bloodshed moment for Uwe Boll as a filmmaker in that sense. And that it's like, no, I can't keep doing this. And not just because I don't want to also because like tax laws prevent me from doing it. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I, I again, I, I find that kind of fascinating that like blood rain is like whatever about it as a, as a bad movie. It's such, <laughs> it's an experience that changes, like changes Uwe Boll as a filmmaker. 
uh, which is stunning. But I think that about wraps it up then, unless there's anything else we're talking about, anything we haven't discussed already. So, Billy, is there anything in your notes that we haven't kind of discussed that you want to bring up? Because you do have five pages of notes. Now, in fairness, I think um, I think we covered a lot of it. Like, it's just, as I said, most of my notes um, just consisted of me writing, editing. What the Scratch that. <laughs> what the Scratch that. Soundtrack. <laughs> what the hell's going on yeah. here? That was actually one thing in fairness though the soundtrack wasn't very notable which is quite strange and I think that's what made me think of that like I think and again like the likes of like Doom and those kind of weird like we need to come up with a try we need to come up with a name for that kind of subgenre of film because it's it's such a it's so important in a weird way because I think the likes of um uh like the likes of Resident Evil stuff like Resident Evil had a, a phenomenal soundtrack as well actually and film I th- not would that work instead of film noir film not yes i think i think it could i think that's a very yeah film not you heard it here first folks any of those kind of scratch that movies with like new metal soundtracks that's film not and, i just uh, i just thought of gears of war when we were talking about like kind of early sort of i do well i don't know how early noughties it 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 was but like a video game yeah. and really gory video game and like where everyone's kind of like it's sort of it's very brosy and yeah. it's kind of kind of muscly and stuff and i don't know i i feel i feel like it, andrew, it, that's another kind of artifact of its andrew time. you are not going to believe this but yes it overlaps almost perfectly with the release of blood rain blood rain was released in 2006 i believe in january and Gears of War was released in November that year. So, yes, it does belong to that kind of spectrum of releases. Where there was, like, the, 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 where there was a lot of blood splatter. Yeah. Kind of as, as part of that. Yeah. And, it, again, it's all that kind of, because it's got this, like, the Gears of War soundtrack and stuff. And I was only actually, I was talking to my brother yesterday that the fact that we haven't had a Gears of War movie yet. Because, like, I actually, I made a joke about this to one of my friends, um, one of my friends in work and she was asking me like oh now that you're nearly finished college like what what are you going to do with yourself and I was like I want to be the Quentin Tarantino of like early naughty's music videos <laughs> oh brings like, back you know, like, yeah he brings everything back everything he does is homage my homage will be all that and people will hate me but I won't care because I'll be like who's... not tour <laughs> that's like my dream <laughs> who's career who's going to be your first reclamation project or can you tell us? But or are you worried that somebody will get in there first? Can you do? Can you have Guy Guy Fieri playing a an adaptation of Just Cause the video game? I think um, that would be incredible. I who were we talking about? Because we were talking, we were only talking about Gears of War yesterday, and that's kind of how it came up. Because you, if you were to do like the whole Gears of War route, scratch that like that, you you would have to go balls to the walls in that route. There's no half measures, or it won't work. Who were yeah. we talking about for Gears of War? Fred Durst. Oh, I think Jared Butler would do it. Jared Butler, yeah. Yeah, but but he'd almost add too much. I think. I feel like like if anyone has Jared Butler's number, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> feel free to <laughs> add the podcast. Pitch. Yep, send it. Send he'd it. probably he'd probably be um like like you'd find it as a compliment that like you're not offering him kind of like you know an older kind of uh, gentleman or like he could be a veteran. Yeah. Say, like, because yeah. I always the war of tomorrow that, like, for the man of tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I always thought, and I was again like, this last year it's actually scandalous. Like I've been so busy with everything that I haven't watched any new movies. So generally, when I'm working, what I do is I put 
things I've seen before in the background because I don't have to actually pay attention to them. But mm. then the comfort of them playing is there. And um, I was only thinking the other day that like, and it was actually, I think, funnily enough, on The Rock's birthday, because um, everyone was talking about him. It's like, if there were to John- Johnson? Yeah, my absolute dude. I love him. <laughs> he was my favorite wrestler. Like, and um, I just think if they were to re- ever to remake a Doom movie, he would have to be Doom Guy because that would be his own reclamation. Like, yes. take the power back. Yeah. Like, Doom slash Doom Eternal, but have The Rock. Now, I don't know if he would go for it because obviously, you'd, like, by rights you shouldn't see his face and he'll also be size... president by then that's a problem i think yeah literally he probably will be and that's the funny thing you know he probably will be but he um yeah started as an snl sketch and now it's reality <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah welcome to the 21st century and yeah they, but wasn't it yeah. like south park was donald trump or was it simpsons simpsons simpsons, simpsons did donald trump yeah. and ushered that that nightmare into being uh, yeah it's it, thanks I, I think I think definitely as as well Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the um, Gears of War remake. That's I, what, I, yeah, likes yeah. it. I I was going to mention how I think we I think we kind of referred to it briefly, but how um, how Ben Kingsley Ben Kingsley's Kagan um, appears in the scene with no wig. Yes. Um, so I guess we're meant to understand that it is a wig. Like we're not meant to be convinced that it's not. But like he's he's otherwise formally dressed, though, is the thing. Like that's the really odd thing is he's otherwise in costume, but he's just not wearing the wig. So it's like Kagan just. He was probably like in his trailer having a sandwich and got dragged out, <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. made cup of tea quickly. No, we need you to do this really, really quick. Don't scratch that. The wig. It's fine. It's fine. Come on. Come out quickly. Oh. Come on. I, I lo- <laughs> It's a small thing, but I love like how little the geography of the movie makes sense. So you have that shot where we go to Kagan's castle and we do like the David Fincher-esque kind of like CGI camera through the grate into the into the room, and then like you see later on that like where the camera enters the room extends much further back than the window possibly could and also it's not a window it's a stone wall with a tapestry on it which i adore as well i love how like there's no again as andrew said there's no real sense of like how does this all fit together it's like do i have the footage for the scene that i need today yeah ua is not gonna go back and like reshoot extra scenes and release like a a a blu-ray um edition of this movie with like the, the the director's remastery yeah. of 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 it with correcting all of the kind of yeah. um, he's too busy making uh, three movies on the sets that he's using for Auschwitz in 2011 yeah. three Just movies in a year yeah shot sim- many of them shot simultaneously which is stunning like that is anyway so- so this image of him running between all these sets back and forth. He has like a little caddy, like a golf caddy, and he's just going back and forth <laughs> trying to direct everyone. I, I feel like everybody else moves around him. I feel like he claps his hands at noon and then the actors from the next movie arrive on the set for him. Yeah, it sometimes over. forgets which movie he's directing as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh. That would make a lot of sense for Blood Ring. All right. All right, then. I think that about wraps it up. But before we do, what we normally do is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners. So something you're enjoying at the moment, something it can be related to the movie, unrelated to the movie, uh, something that's bringing you pleasure and you might want to share with the audience. So to give Billy a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, the movie starts with Hieronymus Bosch. Um, now, it's difficult these days to appreciate it. I think the kind of art is a bit more difficult to enjoy online. Um, but when things do open up um, uh, and you can travel again, 
um, see if you can if you can visit some some artworks of Hieronymus Bosch close to you. One that I like is in the Prado. It's the um, pardon me. It's the Garden of Earthly Delights triptych, where I think the final uh, trip the the final panel shows. Is this the famous um, one where people, people are being, being eaten? Is it consumed? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But people are being punished. Yeah. For what they enjoyed in life, and I, I like, I like Bosch because he's kind of surrealist before surrealism, and that, 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 that it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of horrific, and it, like if you enjoyed this movie, you'll, you'll also enjoy Hieronymus <laughs> Bosch because it I, looks I, like I this movie when, feels. Yeah, yeah, like, like, like when, I, when, I, when I was in my teens, I think I was into surrealism, and then discovered that there was this kind of, um, uh. uh renaissance or you know kind of a painter who um who did similarly kind of trippy stuff um in terms of video games i noticed that when when i was thinking for research i ought to play um blood rain but it's like 1250 on steam tomb raider is 699 <laughs> yeah um they, they, and the movie's uh, better I, too yeah yeah, yeah. And the, both movies uh, are better. All three, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, is the game worth playing? Did, did, did you say, Billy Jean, that you had seen it? That, uh, sorry, that I you used played to this. I used to play it a lot of um when I was younger. Now again, and it's it's so weird because it's very much like the movie. I remember playing the game, and I remember really enjoying it. But if you were to ask me anything about it, I would not be able to tell you. It's like right. a feeling, like a, like it's so it's so weird. I get these flashes of memories about it but if you were to go tell me the story of blood rain i haven't a notion are, are you covered kind in blood sitting Nazis? in the middle of a field um when this happens that's the question yeah yeah that's <laughs> i was about to download um tomb raider but then i re- realized that i still have civilization five new tomb raider or original tomb raider no the original i was just yeah. gonna and seemingly you can buy all tomb raider games and it costs like about 150 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's scandalous. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I, I, I wanted to kind of see how many, how many are in that, and if you bought them separately, would it be less? But, I actually um, think it's. I think I checked that before, and I think depending on the deals and stuff, it can work out cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's nuts. And they, they, they um, so it, instead, I played Civilization Five, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend to anybody because it will, it will take your life away. I yeah. looked at it and it said like I don't think I played it that much, but I looked at this <laughs> and it tells you on Steam. Yeah. So it's like you've spent three hundred fifty hours. <laughs> hours watching this. Yeah. No, not sixteen hours, tr- like three hundred and fifty. Like <laughs> I suppose this is like all time. I was like, oh my god, when did that happen? Is it the last it, week? That's what yeah. happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, like you defade space and time to <laughs> up those numbers. <laughs> Uh, just cause as well that we mentioned. If you want yeah. a really easy video game, that's uh, that's like um, crazy fun. Um, you just like run around shooting everything and blowing stuff up, and um, yeah, it's a it's 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 fun, I guess. Yeah. All right. So that's me. And um, Billy, what would you recommend? Yeah, like as I said, I'm in a bit of a weird bind because my life has essentially been on pause for the past year. Um, I have I have not touched my PlayStation. I'd say. Jesus, I'd say maybe since September, which is so devastating. But um, one of the last games that I played that I really, really enjoyed on it was Death Stranding. 
Death Stranding isn't in any way easy going. It's Ooh. very, it's quite heavy going. It's the but one it's with Norman amazing. Reedus, right? And uh, yeah. Mads Mikkelsen, am I correct? Yeah. yeah, it is spectacular. It's, I really loved it. Now, it's one of those games, you'll know fairly early on if you love it or you hate it. But again, if you're in any way a cinephile, you will love this because Kojima is such a movie head. Yes. It is amazing. The soundtrack alone, oh my God. Both the score and the soundtrack, it's it's phenomenal. And you will get sucked into it. it I think, it's, how long did it take me to play? I took it quite leisurely. Leisurely? I can't even speak today. Don't mind me. Um, I took it at an easy pace and I think I clocked up 40, 40 hours on it. Actually, that's light. Last game I played was The Last of Us, which is also very much worth playing. But pre that, it was uh, Death Stranding. Um, so I think now I'm going to jump into Ghost of, uh, Ghost of Tsushima. I've heard great things. Um, my brother's been absolutely harassing me to play it for ages. And I was planning, I was hoping to get uh, Resident Evil 8. And Mass Effect is out next week. Mass Effect is one of my favourite games or game series of all time, if not my favourite but uh, there's still no PS5s in this country. So uh, seemingly people are people were purchasing them in order to do in order to take out the processors for um crypto mining because like the be, the best devices are gaming devices gen- generally speaking and and that uh, PS5 have had to respond by you know new editions of their hardware are kind of um locked they're, so yeah yeah they're they're locked in such a way that they can recognize when they're being used for something <laughs> other than gaming Jesus yeah because they they their customer base are gamers they're not yeah. kind of um fin bros yeah. Um, well, isn't so, everybody a fin bro now? Wall Street yeah, yeah. hashtag. Uh, yeah. How are your GameStop uh, <laughs> shares going? I think um, it's a GameStop, yeah. isn't that the one? Um, <laughs> but yeah, geez, um, sorry. So, um, I beg your pardon. Sorry, Billy King. No, it's it, Jesus. It's all good. Uh, no, it's not like I like. What did I watch recently? I watched. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's actually it's incredible, and I think it's if it's not on Shutter already, it should be coming soon. As far as I know, it's coming to Shutter. Um, Jacob's wife with Barbara Crampton. It's quite unusual. I really enjoyed it. Um, basically, um, it's only out in the last like couple of weeks, if even, and it follows a minister's wife. She's kind of, you know, they've been married for 30 odd years. There's no real passion or love in the marriage. She kind of feels like her life is going nowhere. And it's like one of those things that she was like, oh, like one minute I was you know, 19 and now I wake up and I don't recognize myself because I look in the mirror and I see someone that's not me. Like she's like blinked and she's missed her life essentially. And um, oh my God. she has a chance encounter with a vampire and it gives her a new lease of life. Um, and it's very, it's very interesting. It, they kind of go down the hole again, like not to like, and it's actually quite timely because, um, or not timely appropriate, should I say, because of blood rain, because the vampires are all quite Stephen King-esque, like Salem's Lottie. And um, basically this encounter with the vampire kind of gives her inadvertently what she needs. So then it's up to herself and her husband, the minister, to kind of try and get to the bottom of what's going on in the town. Um, And it's it's like it's not a comedy per se, but there are funny moments. It's not like serious, but there are serious moments. It's a lot of fun, though. It is a very fun movie. And Barbara Crampton is amazing. She just totally totally hold it together and if you're in any way an 80s horror head 
like you'll appreciate seeing her getting her her proper due like because obviously she's a staple of the genre anyway but as like she's so powerful in this leading role and she totally commands every scene she's in like I watched that the other day I loved it and actually another movie I watched recently enough um that I loved was why am I drawing a blank? I am so tired, lads. Sorry. No, 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 like, no, 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 no. I, It's like, I absolutely adore this movie and I can't remember the name of it for the life of <laughs> Who did it? What's it about? What happened? It's it? an entire it day is... trying to think of Jodie Foster's name. Arch <laughs> Enemy. Arch Enemy. <laughs> That's what I mean. Uh, uh, Arch Enemy uh, with Joe Manganiello. That is spectacular. I watched both of them recently. They're actually the only two movies that were kind of new to me that I watched. You will love Arch Enemy. Um, it's I can't even really describe it without spoiling anything. But I, all I'd say is, and particularly for the listeners, give Arch Enemy a watch. It's so fantastic, and it, you can tell it was it's from Spectre Vision, Elijah Woods film company. Like, and it's so crafted with love and passion, and you can tell that everyone that was involved in its creation just totally adored every second of it and um, the trailer is phenomenal the movie itself is phenomenal everything about it like i literally if i tried i couldn't find fault in it genuinely like it's it's really good it's very unusual but i think if put that on your watch list and thank me later because everyone that <laughs> i've said the, na- the name again uh, arch enemy perfect because i kept i always get confused with them um, joe lynch's mayhem because i like after watching mayhem i watched arch enemy because I love Mayhem as well with uh, Stephen Yoon. And I watch them back to back, but I always get the names confused because I watched them as a double bill. But also a very good double bill if you're ever interested. Cool. All right, then. Um, in terms of recommendations for myself, because this is a B-movie, um, the work of John Hyams. So stuff like Universal Soldier Regeneration, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, which are much better than sequels to Universal Soldier really should be. Um, at one point, John... No, like, they do they do Apocalypse Now, but with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Dolph Lundgren? Yep, Dolph Lundgren's in there, and they do, like... A, it's Apocalypse Now, but with Jean-Claude Van Damme in the Marlon Brando role. And it works about... Like, it works as well as you want it to work, which is, is fantastic. And we'll... I, yeah, I found uh, Universal Soldier, like, a, a franchise that had a lot of, kind of, um, uh, pay, uh, pathos, and, and that you could probably do... A, a an interesting thing with sort of a movie with it yeah well the first the first the first of those two really does actually the first of those two is a much more conventional movie and they do like chernobyl and like there is a sense of like pathos to the characters and the second one is much more uh, avant-garde as far as direct-to-video action movies tend to go um and in terms of we mentioned paul ws anderson who is the one of the vulgar auteurs as they've come to be known of cinema the kind of like architect of like high quality trash I rewatched Event Horizon recently, which I still maintain is his masterpiece. Um, yeah. In terms of late nineties horror, I absolutely adore that movie. It is The Shining in space. It is The Exorcist in space. Um, it is a delight. Um, it's also the most underrated Back to the Future remake ever because where we're going, you won't need eyes to see. Um, and yes, I wholeheartedly love it, recommend it, rewatch it, think it's well worth your time. All right then, Billy, where can we find you? If listeners want a bit more Billy in their lives, where are you? Watch out. Um, so you can find me primarily on Instagram. So I have a color palette page called Video Nasty Presents where I delve into the colors and textures of horror and uh genre cinema essentially so the likes of blood rain all that kind of malarkey the high and the lows and everything in between i cover it all i am not in any way um 
which is surprising because I am in a lot of ways when it comes to movie snobbish, but I'm also not. Uh, so you can find me there. And if you have any movies, and guys, same to yourselves, if you ever want to see a palette on literally the most bonkers movie imaginable, drop me a line and I'll get it sorted. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, personally as Terribilly. Perfect. Um, you can follow us, the podcast online at, at the 250 on um, Twitter. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are found. Uh, if you do like us, feel free to rate, subscribe. It makes it easier for you to follow and get new episodes um, as they go live. Next week, we'll be back. We'll be discussing a very different movie. The Coen Brothers 1996 Fargo is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. And we have director Rena Gregor uh, and critic Stacey Groudon joining us for that discussion. We're really, really looking forward to that. Um, it certainly will be a change of pace, perhaps, uh, from the oeuvre of Uwe, uh, as it were. Thank you so much, Billy. Really enjoyed this. Thank, Thank you, guys. Yeah, Thank you. Nice.